Hi, I'm Tam McManus, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold. My name's Lee Gillis. And I'm Michael McCall. So we've got a, a fun-packed interview for you today um, and a, a great show lined up as per usual. Not that we would expect anything less now. We're moving on in the episodes. We've, we've had a pretty busy week, Michael. When we're recording this, today's Thursday. On Tuesday we interviewed Bobby Lynn. Today we've interviewed Greg McDonald. Um, and this week's episode we're bringing to you is with Tam McManus. So, you know, the, the quality of guests that we've had in, um, I think that a lot of people have been quite surprised about for such a new podcast. I've had pulled in, you know, Darren Young and Gary Naismith and um, Tam McManus and stuff quite early on. So thanks to everybody for your um, your feedback. It's, it's been absolutely amazing. And, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I, I didn't think that it would go as well as it has, but it has. On top of that, um, I just want to say a, a huge thank you to the reaction of our T-shirts. You were probably sick of seeing it on your social media, um, but you know it, it was something that was really important for us because as much as I'm absolutely loving doing this, um, I really want to pay back to the club that I love so much. And, and if we could do that by way of advertising, but you know by a board, um, I'm going to reach out to the people that have. Um, sponsored us because the other thing that we thought about that we might do instead of the board is to do a couple of player sponsorships instead. What I've done is I've got a list of everybody that's um, gave us a donation or bought a t-shirt and I'm just going to say a quick thank you. So that's Gordon Finlay, Robert Johnman, Leona Gide, Mark Young, Ross Young, Scott Young, Phil and Tony Charletta, Peter McHugh, Lauren Higgins, Liam Anderson, Eugene Clark, Jennifer Russell, James Smale, John Scott Neal, Max McCarroll, Anthony Gillis, um, we had Ross Hutchison, Glenn Walker, Tracy Gillis, Chris Gillis. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for, for supporting that. Um, we've about 25 t-shirts. We've only got four left. So if you are looking to get one, then, then do get in touch. And again, once more, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, absolutely blown away by the reaction from everyone. It's like, thank you so much. Glad you're enjoying these shows. And I, I mean, I... I genuinely think that the interviews we've had, they've all been first class so far. They've been so... It's just great chatting to these guys and it's a, a real trip down memory lane as well. And for me, moving away like 12, 13 years ago now, you do feel a bit remote from the club. So, I mean, this has totally brought back so many happy memories, reignited my passion for the club. That's never really gone away, but... It's just, you feel more involved in it now, which sometimes you don't. So just thanks for everyone for listening. And anyone, of course, that you'd like us to chat to, like send us a tweet at Glory Days of Gold on Twitter or drop us an email at glorydaysofgold at gmail.com. Let us know who you'd like to see on the show, any dream interviews you've had, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously the big one that keeps coming up, Steve Archibald. Yeah. Look, we would love to interview Steve as much as you guys would like to hear him. Get on to him on Twitter. Send him a message. Steve, we want to hear you on it. You know, with somebody that's social media feed will be as busy as his, we probably do need to have a bit of a collective effort um, from everybody involved to, to get him to speak to us. Spoken to him a couple of times in the past and he is an absolute gentleman, so we just need to try and, and get him involved. But yeah, um, we've had a few emails in this week. We've had a few tweet, Twitter DMs. Um, we had a few people message us on Facebook and stuff. So it's great to see that um, you guys are interacting with us and, and you want to know what, when you get the feedback, it makes it all the worthwhile doing it. So again, thank you so much. Speaking of which, um, just a quick thank you to our sponsors this week. So this week's sponsors is um, Mark, Young at, Mark Young at My Sporting Blog. Mark is a Glenothis lad. If anybody from Glenothis listening, he used to run the Glenothis Rovers football team who I used to play for. He started up his own sporting blog, which you can find on Facebook, and he's got his own webpage too, which is in development. Mark will be posting up daily tips on horses, football, that sort of stuff. So get on there, get involved with them. And also this episode um, is sponsored to you by Jennifer Russell. Jennifer's got her own Instagram page, which is Hairdressing Princess, and she's a home hairdresser. So give her a shout if you're needing my post-lockdown haircut. Not something that you and me are quite needing, Lee, but I'm sure lots of others are. No, um, I, th- I think that I'm at the stage now where it's a, a Bic razor and some Gillette and I'll do the job. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so Michael, not much to talk about in terms of new signings, but we've got two new players um, in the first team squad, Josh McConville and Liam Newton, who've been promoted from the first team squad to the under-20s. Um, so 17-year-old midfielder McConville joined from the under-20 setup from the Fife Elite FA, made his debut in the Challenge Cup against Stirling Albion last August. Um, Josh was selected for the Scottish Schools Boys International Squad for the second time this season and featured in the opening uh, Centenary Shield match this year. Then we've got 18-year-old Liam Newton, um, who joined up from the under-20 squad from Kennedy Starhearts in November. Liam was captain of the Five Schools team last season and was called up to the Scottish Schools Boys International squad this season, making his debut against Northern Ireland in the Centenary Shield. So, Yeah, and I mean, the under-20s... The- they were doing well last season. I think from an East Five point of view, though, it's a great statement by the club because you've promoted two guys from the U20s. Reading John Donaldson's statement on the website, he said they hoped maybe to get one or two of the guys like to, to move up through the pathway from the U20s to the first team over the first couple of years of it. And to get two in the first year, I think, is fantastic. From reading some of the comments on Facebook, McConville seems to be a guy that had attracted interest from some other clubs as well. So I think it's good to to do this, but also for the guys that are on this U20 team, it shows that East Fife aren't just paying lip service to this and saying to these guys, oh, look, we'll, we'll give you a chance. You can maybe make it into the first team. The proof of the pudding is always in the eating. And basically, East Fife are now proving that, look, if you stand out at this level, we will reward you with a place in the first team. And then once they get into that and they're into training, it's up to the guys then to to seize the opportunity with both hands and to stake a claim to being a first team regular after that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you've, you've only got to look at our track record for developing players, um, you know, just off the top of my head, Nathan Austin, Paul McManus, Stevie Ferguson, Stephen Fortune, um, all came through, maybe not so much Nathan um, Austin for the youth setup, but young players that we've brought through that have, have gone on to, to play um, at a decent level. So people, I want to see people 
thinking that he's safe in a high regard of you want know, to what they're not just bringing people boys in for Glasgow, Dundee, wherever we're, we're developing local boys as well. So I think it's absolutely amazing. And, and again, we need to commend Darren Young because I know that this was his sort of baby um, that he brought that in. So um, great to see that that Darren isn't you know paying lip service and he's actually reaping what he sows. The other thing with it as well, like this is how clubs like East Five survive. Now, you can say, well, I don't want us to develop all this young talent and then a bigger team comes in and takes them off our hands. Let's be honest here. We're, we're not a team that is going to keep hold of a top talent if it's a really, really top talent. They are going to want to, to go and play full time. And... A lot of these young guys as well, they've certainly got what it takes to move on. It, it's felt a while since we've really brought through some top quality talent. And there's been this big gap where that was missing from East Fife. But in this day and age where you've got clubs struggling to make ends meet, you don't know when you're going to get fans coming in through the turnstiles to, to pay their money. Developing one of these guys, selling them onto a bigger team, this could be the difference between East Fife surviving for the, the next five years or or not and that's how clubs at our level basically have to run and it's uh, it's just great to see all round yeah no absolutely and i mean you know because we've got these boys from a young level i believe that even if they left at the end of their contract that we would be entitled to a developmental fee so yeah you know again big kudos to the club for um, doing that Moving on, though, um, so we may or may not have Patrick Thistle um, in our division next season, and there's going to be a little bit more of that in part three. But what we do know for certain is that the League One clubs have approved a 27-game season um, last Thursday for season 2021 with the league finally, finally kicking off on October the 17th. Yes. The next day, the league uh, two clubs also agreed to that. So good to finally have that date in the diary. I could start planning my my, my home games off um, yeah. from October. A little bit sad that we're only going to have a 27-game season and I'm, I'm concerned about how that might disadvantage us yeah. um, in terms of you know less home games. You know, I think that we've got a, a pretty good home record and, and, and you know a lot of players won't fancy Bayview with the, the, some of the conditions, the Astro, and I really think that we need more home games on that basis. So I hope that the the draw for the the games doesn't sort of swing in Partick and Falkirk's sort of favour. Yeah, I, mean, I touched on that a couple of shows ago. It's a big concern of mine. Because, I mean, already for a 27-game season, you're going to have some teams that's playing 14 games at home, some teams are only playing 13. So right away, some teams are disadvantaged that way not just in terms of home field advantage, but also in terms of they're losing a, a gate revenue for a, for a game. But yeah, what does happen if you end up having to go to Partick twice and to Falkirk twice? Maybe you also have to go to Cove twice and you've got all that extra travel and you're, you've then got the tougher schedule. And I would hope somehow it can be balanced. It's going to be a bit of a a fixture headache, I've got to say, like for the people putting this together, I've I always criticise the, the fixture makers anyway, but I don't envy them this time, this position, because you're going to have some clubs that feel really, really disadvantaged, and I really don't know if there's a fair way of doing it, because you genuinely don't know, outside probably Partick and Falkirk, you really don't know who is going to be strong and who's not going to be strong right now. I don't know. I fancy us to be strong sides. I mean, we've retained oh, see, the majority. Of our... We think we might be, 
but there's you, you're not a hundred percent certain. No, definitely not, and, and you you can't be certain. You know, football. You, you know, who would have predicted Leicester would have won the league? So you've got to think about you know, football is a inverted commas funny old game anyway. So we we'll just need to see what twenty twenty one throws at us when it comes. But yeah, I think that it'll be interesting to see that. We'll not talk league construction too long because we've talked it to death. But it looks like the the bet Fred Cup is going to take place before the loan the yeah. lower league season begins, probably early October, and there's still going to be group games. So we've still got a chance to give Hearts another doing or whoever is we draw on that. And do you want to know what? I, I, I fancy us whoever we get. I think yeah. on our day we'll turn any team over. I, I genuinely think this is going to play into our favour because Darren Young's going to have more time with the players getting them ready. Whereas all these other Betfred matches, and we've done well the, the last couple of seasons in them, but I mean, look at last season. We did so well against Dundee United and Hearts, but we struggled right off the bat against Cowden, which was a game that we should have won. Now, now Darren Young's got a couple of months to get these guys ready, prepared in the right mindset, play some friendlies. I don't know what all the ins and outs as to how much time he can get with them, but hopefully a long time. So we're actually going to enter into the group stages way better prepared than we have in the last couple of things. We've maybe just had a couple of weeks pre-season under our belt. Yeah, you could be going up against Premier teams that are actually in full play mode because they've been going since August 1st. But it's the luck of the draw. But I, yeah, I'd fancy us to do well. I, I'm, I'm buzzing. I just cannot wait because we've been doing this. It's just got me wanting the season to start so much. And you're seeing these other games coming back over here. In North America, MLS is back now, so it's like, I'm just buzzing, I just want this action to get underway. Yeah, well, we've, we've still got a little while to go, still the best part of another three months, but you want to know what, if, if you think how quickly the last three months have gone and even being on lockdown, it'll be here before we know it. Yeah. So finally, the other thing that we wanted to touch on um, was player sponsorship. So this is more of something that I've got a bit of a personal interest in. So um, for any of our fans that are listening, player sponsorship is now available for 100 quid, which I think is a pretty reasonable price. We are currently in debate. Obviously, we've raised that money to, um, to go towards some advertising at the stadium. But what we thought more of was that that money would go a little bit further if we invested it in a couple of players so what our thought process is is we're going to put out an email to or a, a message out to all the people that have sponsored us and we're going to let you pick if you want the advertising to see the advertising board we'll go for the advertising board if the majority of the consensus comes back that it's players we'll even let you pick one of the players that we go for and we'll take that to, um, to majority of vote obviously we want to pick someone that's going to be scoring a lot of goals because we want to see our logo flashing up when Chris Ward does the, the gifts, but um, we'll see what we think. But um, yeah, if you are obviously interested in player sponsorship, do get in direct contact with the club. Um, they could point you in the right direction. Um, I had a good chat with the club the other day um, about how hopefully we could look at the, the um, podcast supporting East Fife going forward. So really, really excited about that. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's primarily one of the reasons that we did this one was just to kind of like reconnect and take trips down memory lane but we also want to promote the club and like we've I haven't delved into the stats the last couple of shows but we've had listeners from all around the world and a lot of these are going to be far-flung expats I know I've been plugging it out here so there's some folk in Canada that are sick of me talking about East Fife on the the other AFTN podcast we do about MLS. So I know a few of those guys have, have listened to this and they've feedback I've had is they don't know anything about the club. 
but they're loving just how everyone, all the players, has been speaking about the club. And it, when you're supporting teams out here, it feels like it's a business. It doesn't feel like a football club. And a lot of folk want that kind of connection. And they, they can see clearly that all the players have this connection with the club. We want to have that. We want to put money back into the club. We're not here for profit. So, yeah, that's something definitely to do. Also, just I noticed just before we were starting to record this today, that East Five face masks are now available from Football Nation. I might get hold of one of them. I've got a Whitecaps one that MLS sent me, so I'll get a nice matching East Five one instead because it's better colours. Black and gold. Can I go wrong with that? I'm wearing a retro strip today. Because although Tam McManus is in this episode, we've actually had a, a chat with Greg McDonald today. So I, I wore one of the strips that Greg's worn. So it was 2005, 6-ish or something like that, I think. Uh, that's actually one of my favourite shots. I love this and I love the East Fife embroidered into the back as well. This, like I, I've said before, I know it's sacrilege to say I don't really like the stripes because I don't feel it's good for walking around in vertical stripes are not a great thing to walk around town with but a nice plain black thing with some gold stuff you can walk around and wear this anywhere i'm still never going to agree with you and and you know my feelings on this we should always be in black and uh, gold stripes but anyway that's that's a subject that we could debate again another day i'm sure so I'm sure we will as well. So as discussed, I'm absolutely delighted to be welcoming a guest today, a Scottish football legend, um, mainstay in the media these days, former East Fife, former Hibernian, former Derry City. Don't list them all over here all day. Yeah. <laughs> a man that's been described as a bit of a traveller in his career, Mr. Tam McManus. So delighted to be joined now by a man that he only spent a short time at East Fife, but he was taken to to the hearts of the fans at the club. He's had 13 clubs over a 19-year career. I'd seen him play in Scotland, England, Ireland, the US. And we obviously know his best time was, was when he was at Bayview. So thanks for, for joining us today, Tam. No problem. Glad to be on, boys. So we're kind of starting off all the, the interviews just by, by really just asking you, like how how's it been going during the lockdown? What what have you been been up to, and just how has it really been for you? I think it's like everybody else. I think we've all been trying to get by. Um, I do a bit of coaching with SFA uh, and the performance skill, so that's been binned. Yeah, that's been shelved uh, a little bit after dinner speaking. That's been obviously binned as well. So I've still been doing a Peter Ruffy show, um, a little bit of that. Um, but apart from that, not not a lot. Just try to keep going. My wife's self-employed as well, so it's been quite a tough time for, for the both of us, to be honest. And she's been doing some dance classes online and Zoom and stuff. So, no, I just try to stay positive. I mean, I know it's been a hard time for everyone, but hopefully now we're coming out the other end and we can get get the football back. Everybody can get back to work. I know there's probably not a lot of people who want to get back to work. <laughs> getting too used to getting paid for sitting in the house, but I'm certainly not one of them. I need to get back out and, uh, and get working again. So, no, just... Uh, just let everybody else just try to get their head down and batter through it. Hopefully, Scottish football is going to get back soon. But we're going to delve into your, your career today and just look at what you've done during the game, what you're kind of doing a little bit now as well. But we want to obviously start with, with the East Fife part of it. 
he only played 11 games for his Fife and you scored three goals that the fans took to you right away. You nearly helped us get, get promotion the season that you were there. I mean, when you look back at that, I know it was really early in your career. What, what's your memories of your time at Bayview? Yeah, great memories, to be honest. My first really involvement in senior football. Um, I was playing with Hibs under-20s. That was the Reserve League back then. Um, and obviously, Rab Shannon was the manager at East Fife at the time. And Rab was coming to a few of our games. And I was doing quite well in the reserves. You know, I, was, I was playing most weeks. And you were up against experienced players. I remember playing against Morris Malpass one week at Dundee United. And then you were playing against Colin Henry another week at, at Rangers. And you know, it was a great education uh, for me to play. Um, in reserve football but I think McAllen McLeish was keen to get all the boys out and loan um, Kenny Muller had just been out and loan the year before me then his view and done really well and uh, he got himself in the first team and was doing well and I think Alex had it in his mind that he wanted to get myself out Ian Murray out and different guys who were just on the fringes of the first team um, we trained with the first team every day but that, at that point Hibs were doing really well Frank Sozzi was there Lappy you know, and David Zatelli mixed with Pat Lane with the strikers so I I never really had a chance to get into the team. So, to remember Alan McLeish bringing me into his office one day and said, like, Rab Shannon was on the phone uh, asking if I wanted to go and want East Fife. And, you know, I was, I was up for it straight away. Uh, Alex said, Rab's a good guy and you'll, you'll get out and you'll get playing in front of the crowd and all that and you'll get you'll be playing against older professionals and you'll, you'll enjoy it. So, that was it. And then I, I went to East Fife training that night uh, up at uh, East Fife, up at Bayview, and I travelled up with Damiano Agostini and uh, Steve McCormack, uh, that was the two guys, I didn't drive at the time, um, so Rab had uh, arranged for me to get a lift up with the two, so I met the two of them at, uh, at the Royal Infirmary at Glasgow, near Glasgow, and um, as soon as I got in the motor, big Steve McCormack started slotting my gear, uh, big Steve, he was a great guy, um, so I just, I travelled up with them a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, and uh, first night I was up there, it was a bit of an eye-opener, because when I went into training and all that, I seen guys come in with their working gear on, and it just kind of hit to me that these guys were out grafting that all day and I'd been at training for a couple of years and went home and that's when I thought, well, these guys are dedicated, you know, they're, they're coming for their work, they're not playing for a lot of money, but they're just, they're off the game and, and they're trying to do, do everything right. So, first training session was great, you know, went and met all the guys, Gordon Forrest was there, Barry Moffat, got on well with Barry, um, Ray Logan, you know, Sharpie, the fullback, was a great guy. Um, I remember all of them. I remember them all clear as day. Well, I'm a call it the boy. We did a gib. So, aye, I ran straight away and I made, made to feel at home straight away with all the guys. Went up, trained again on the Thursday night. Met Stevie and Damiano again in Glasgow. Drove up again. And then my first game was against Dumbarton at home and actually dug out the programme. Uh, put the programme here. Uh, oh, nice. Dumbarton, aye, East Fife, Dumbarton, Pro, uh, East Fife, Dumbarton. 4th of March 2000, so that was my debut for East Fife. And I went out and straight away there was a crowd there. And straight away you think, no, a wee bit of pressure because I hadn't even played in front of anybody. Reserve oh. games were probably about 100, 100 people, if, if that. And it was about four or 500 in East Fife's we stand, and it was a good atmosphere. And uh, you know, straight away I went for the kick-off, I looked up and I seen a couple of Hibs scouts here, and Donald Park was there, who was my youth coach, so they were there to watch me. So straight away there was a wee bit of pressure. It was just different, a different feeling for, for playing reserve football. And you know there was points at stake. You were going for promotion, as you were talking about earlier. So it was a game you had to win. And uh, I remember scoring a goal. I, scored, I think I scored the winner that day. And we went down to 10 men. And the last 20 minutes was a bit of a grind. And, and I managed to score the winner. And had a, had a good game, you know. And come off, and these five fans were 
giving a great round of applause and I come after all that. And after it, I uh, got interviewed with the local East Fife News and a couple of other daily, daily papers and that. And you look in the paper on the, in the, in the Sunday, and there's your wee name. You're wee, just a wee bit there, Tam McManus scores. And, and my mates were texting me going, oh, Tam, your name came up on Sky Soccer, Jeff uh, Sterling. There's all wee things like that. It was all brilliant. It was great. I, I loved it. I was thinking, that's me. And he's seen your football now. Uh, and just loved my time at East Fife, as you said. Went up, scored a couple of other goals. And it was just unfortunate for us. Really unlucky the last game of the season. We played uh, Dumbarton. Great East Fife travelling support during that day. We had to win to get promotion. And the last ever game at Bulkhead as well. So it was a massive Aye. crowd in that day. It was about 3,000 odd. And we went 1-0 up. And uh, unfortunately, William McCulloch made a, made a bad mistake. Uh, he'd been great for us he made a, a, a mistake and we lost the game 2-1 and, and I think Flosser won that day and they get, just get picked for promotion. But no, I have nothing but positive, positive thoughts. Uh, my time East Fife, loved the club, loved the supporters, were brilliant with me. Uh, went back up there with Hibs to play in Dickie Gibbs' testimonial uh, a oh, couple, right. right, couple of years later. Played me Dickie's testimonial and I got a good ovation as well uh, for East Fife fans. So no, I love my time at East Fife. I couldn't speak highly enough for the club. And it brought me on so much as a, as a young player. I, I don't know if you ever saw this. In that last game at Boghead, I printed out about 20 Tam McManus masks. So some of us were wearing Tam McManus masks. So I don't know if you ever saw that when you were on the pitch. I was looking through my stuff to see if I still had one. And I didn't, didn't have it, unfortunately. Otherwise, I was going to stick it on. And you, like you mentioned in Damiano Agostini, like a blast from the past. Uh, when I first came to Vancouver, he's in Vancouver and he was playing non-league football and he was playing right. in the local leagues. He actually played in a game Zidane put on this really dodgy charity game here. And it was, a, it was meant to be against big name players and it ended up being about against local scrubs. So Damiano right. played against Zidane in a, in a game here. But uh, it's right. like, I haven't heard that name for ages. I'd forgotten all about him. Uh, great big guy. But you said you were all up for it when, when, the, when you were told that you were coming here. A lot of players, obviously you don't have a say in what loans you get or where you go, but did, did you see that as your ideal chance to basically just go out and say, look, this is what I can do. And if you can do it at that level where it's tough and folk are kicking you off the park, then it's your chance to really just impress Hibs. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was round about the fringes of the, of the first team at Hibs. As I said, I was training with the first team every day. But I was sitting in the stand most weeks. I wasn't getting, getting in the 16. So I thought it was an opportunity for me to go out and play and try and impress the manager. And I've done that, to be fair. When I went back, there was still... I was on the SPL that year. And uh, there was still a couple of games to go when I went back. And straight away when I went back, I, I was in the 16. We played Dundee away from home. And I came on with 20 minutes to go and played well. And then I started the last game of the season against Hearts at Tynecastle. That was my first start for Hibs. That was only a couple of weeks after the, uh, the last game against Dumbarton. Uh, I played at Tynecastle against Hearts live on the TV and, and get man in the match. So that was, I think it was a big part of it that, would, that I'd been playing every week for these five. I was fit, I was sharp. And I come back in and Alan McClay said he's, he's seen a big difference in me. Uh, physically, I wasn't getting pushed about anymore. I was getting bullied with bigger mm-hmm. defenders and that. I was holding my own. And he felt as if he could trust me to put me into a game against Hearts at Tynecastle. Uh, so, as I said, I think that was all down to the spell at his five because... You know, you're playing against experienced uh, professionals, older, older pros, and they don't care who you are. You know, they would just give you a slap anyway. They want their bonus money, and I always say that. Because when we, we played Dumbarton, uh, the first game, and they came in after the game, I think we were on, like, 60 quid bonus or something. 
uh, which was a lot for me because I was not a lot of money to have because uh, I'd asked the boys after it so the boys were saying oh that's a win bonus in the pocket and I said oh it's a win bonus 60 quid and I think I was happier than some of the boys in there I think they were on more money than me uh, but no as I said there was bonus money at stake there was points at stake and promotion and all that so I couldn't recommend it enough to, to young boys to get out as early as you can and play and I think the thing as well is if you can't handle playing in front of 500 people at East Fife you know, how are you expected to handle playing in front of 15,000 at Easter Road I think McLeish was aware of that as well. If I went out and won and bombed and didn't do well, then probably would have been finished at Hibs. So I think that's the pressure that, that comes with a wee bit as well, that you've got to go out and do well, because if you can't handle it, I'd do well at that level, no disrespect, League 2. You, know, you can come back into the SPL and, and, and expect to, to get into the team and do well. Aye, and I think we've, we've seen that over the years. We've had guys at Bayview that just haven't come up to it and then soon they disappear from the, the team that they came from. Aye, good, good point. I mean, that's... You've got to go out and do well when you go out and loan. You know, you can't, especially if you go out and you're not getting a game. I mean, if, you're the, if I'm the manager of Hibs and I send a young boy out to an Alla or an East Fife or an Annan or something and no playing, then you can't really expect him to come in and challenge for a place in your team. So you've got to go out and do well. So I think there's a pressure that comes with that as well. But, you know, I, I loved it. I, I, I loved East Fife. I thought it was brilliant. And before coming to us, did you speak to Paul? Did Paul put a good one in for us? Hey, I can't remember actually if I spoke to Paul. Um, I knew Paul was up there at the five, but they all came to the game. As I said to you, a lot of my families, uh, my Uncle George and my Uncle Michael and my Uncle Gerald and that were at the game. They're all fifers, um, Paul and George and Stephen, they're my cousins. So once they had found out that I was playing with, with the Fife, uh, they would come to the games at, at Methil, uh, at the home games. So, um, no, I never spoke to Paul, but I know Paul's. I don't know many many spells with Paul had these five, a few, four now. I think. <laughs> aye, aye. He's like so a boomerang. Paul, <laughs> aye, Paul always goes back to goes back to East Fife. I think it's handy for him. He's just, but <laughs> no, no. I, I, as I said, I, I loved it at East Fife. I loved Rab Shannon off. It was a great guy, uh, good guy, good manager as well. So, nah, positive stuff. So, you mean you mentioned some of the players that you, you played with at that time, Barry Moffat, Dickie Gibb and stuff. You got uh, any any good stories from the, the dressing room for that time that, that uh, were PC enough that you could share with us? No, In fact, I, even I if they're not. Really, I was only 18, I think. I think I was too wet behind the ears for, to get with him. Uh, I don't think I had a night out with him because it was towards the end of the season. I, I had to be straight back to Hibs. But I'm sorry, I think Barry Moffat was a great character. Great guy. I loved to laugh. Good, good wee player and all. Uh, and big Stevie McCormack, man, he was, he used to get some abuse for the fans. <laughs> I think it was East Fife and all, because I used to do always running for him. I still speak to him now and again and now, but he didn't move, man. I can't remember coming in the first game I played, I was playing up front, and man, I think I'd done about 100 miles. The big man was just on up front, telling me to run about. But great character, big Stevie. Love big Stevie, and he did a good career in Odin, England and all that, and, and done well up here. So, I've not really got any stories, sadly, for East Fife. Because eh, as I said, I was... I was probably too young to get involved with all the drinking with all that mob. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, obviously, you've mentioned again a few of the players. Who was the best player you played with East Fife then? Eh, I don't know. There was a few good players. Uh, Gordon Forrest was a good player. A uh, midfield player. Raymond Logan was a good player. Box to box. Going to the box. Barry Moffat. Uh, Barry Moffat was a good player. Sharpie. Nah, there was, there was quite a good... You know, it was quite... I think it surprised me the level. Um, obviously, when I was dropping down to League Two, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be pretty easy and all that, but it certainly wasn't it. It was a lot of good players down there and good pros in that, in that dressing room. And I had to pick one, probably Gordon Forrest. He was, I thought he was a really good player. 
And we had him here in Vancouver. He was our assistant manager for four That's years. Right, here. Yeah. Aye, really nice guy. Aye, he's at United now. Well, for, aye, for aye, now, aye. I guess. Who knows what's going to happen? Aye, he might end up falling at my heart, sir. Aye. I just want to take you, obviously, um, if I didn't speak to you about Hibs on this, then my father-in-law would never talk to me again. So um, he, he's a huge hibby. Um, the first thing that he's told me that I have to, to say to you is the goal against Rangers on the volley. Um, if I'm round to his where I drink, that's one that gets uh, brought up on YouTube. Uh, but I think, don't get me wrong, the goal's great, but the celebration. <laughs> yeah. You know what was what your memory? I think I was just shocked that I, that I, it went in. Um, we used to practice do a lot of shooting because at that point there was five strikers at Hibs. Uh, it was myself, Gary O'Connor, Derek Riordan, uh, Stephen Doby, and Scott Brown, believe it or not. So that was those five strikers at that time. We were all young boys. I was the oldest, about 23. Um, and we used to do loads of shooting drills. And we used to do it on a Friday. We used to chip it over each other and practice volleys. And honestly, God, I must have hit about five. We actually trained at Delgetty Bay, believe it or not, with Hibs. Uh, and I must have hit five or six into the women's garden uh, behind the goal on the volley. And I don't know why it came into my head that day. I think it might have just been the day before. And Yannick Zambernardi, uh, who was a good player, just pinged the ball right across from me. And I still don't know why I hit that first time in the volley. A hundred, 99 times a hundred, I would, I would bring that ball down and try and attack yeah. the fullback. But I just thought, I'm going to try it. And I couldn't have hit it any better. And to be honest, it didn't even feel it coming off my foot. And then Stefan Kloss... Uh, Champions League winner they couldn't, couldn't get a sniff at it so that, no that was you know I'm probably I'm not, I'm not, I'll never score a better goal than that uh, ever in my life and it's mad because a lot of Rangers fans still remember it uh, they're at the game and always mm-hmm. say to me that's one of the best goals you've ever seen at Ibrox uh, for any opposition player or, or anybody so you always got a lot of people still coming up to you and talking to you unfortunately I missed a penalty that day as well at two each and we get beat 5-2 but nobody talks about that they just talk about the goal frankly <laughs> It's all right, we'll edit that out, right? So, <laughs> so nobody remembers. <laughs> so, what I go on to your relationship, obviously, you mentioned Alex McLeish, who, Aye. you know, I'm, like, love Scottish football, Scotland International. He's, in my lifetime, been one of the best international managers of Scotland. What was your relationship like with him? Obviously, I know that he came to you and, and sent you out alone. What, how, how would you speak about him? What was your thoughts on Alex McLeish? Alex was top notch. Alex probably... I like Stephen Kenny, I was at Dunfermline as well, but Alex probably the best manager I've worked under. And Alex was, gave me my debut at Hibs. Um, you know, it was great. I mean, he had, a, he had a fear factor about him, a kind of horror about him. Uh, because he, I think, obviously, done well in the game. He was a top player. What he'd done with Aberdeen. Um, you know, he commanded the respect in that sense. But his man-managing skills were, were brilliant. You know, he, he would make you feel... 10 foot tall before he went in the park. I think that's a gift that is overlooked a wee bit with managers, you know, just having that man management skill to get belief in your players because players are up and down with confidence and, and whatever. And I was like that as a player. I was very up and down as a player. Um, but Alex instilled the confidence in you, he believed in you and he trusted you, you could do the job. And I said, Alex gave me my first start against Hearts at Tynecastle. He told me the night before the game and I never slept a wink and I was playing the next day. Um, and I was I was pretty much a first team regular under Alex. I was in in the team most weeks uh, in a really good team. Finished third one season and, and obviously lost the Scottish Cup final. And um, no, I couldn't speak highly enough. And I knew Alex would go and have a good career when he left Hibs. He went to Rangers um, and done really well at Rangers. And he obviously went down south. He was a Scotland manager. He's managed all over the world. 
you know, but I could always see it. You can tell, I think, the manager straight away off the bat that Stephen Kenny was another one at Dunfermline where you just know he was now the Ireland manager. It took him a little bit of time to get up there, but just guys like that, you know they've got that wee gift about them when about players now they speak to people. It's probably the same in any line of work. If you're you know, a plumber or a joiner or an electrician or you're working in an office, the boss, you know, if you want to do, do your best for them, I think that's a great gift that your boss has got that he's got that man management skills that you want to do well for him and you're scared to upset him and Alec McLeish was like that as well. He didn't want to cross him or upset him. If you had a poor game, you were, you know, you were, you were walking back into the changing room gingerly, eh, slowly at full time because you know you were going to get it both barrels off him. I think that, that made you want to do well for him and play well. Yeah, he, do, he does seem to have, even when you listen to him speaking, he has that sort of gravitas around him that you, you just want to stop and listen to what he's saying. It's funny that you've, obviously you've given some significantly high praise to Stephen Kenny and, and, and Michael's going to know exactly what I'm saying here. <laughs> when we interviewed another um, East Fife player at the weekend who absolutely slaughtered Stephen Kenny. So yeah, it's, like it's, 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 it just shows you how people's opinions, no matter in what, like, like funny you should say that I'm, I'm a manager that's what I do in my job in, in retail yeah. and it's funny how you could be the absolute top dog to somebody but you could be somebody's trash as well there's no oh, yeah, certain, isn't it? Yeah. absolutely so in terms of a contrast then obviously you've got documented um, when I was doing my research with, with John Collins and I wanted to bring him up to you and the reason why is, is as I've told you I've worked in retail and I actually met John Collins he came into my shop one day Right. And I don't think he's going to listen to this, but he was one of the most rude men I've ever met in my entire life. Um, yeah. he, he came in and literally went to the female staff attendant. I want to speak to a man. Literally right in her face. Uh, it, wow. Honestly, I, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. And I, at first of all, I was like, holy SH1T, that's John Collins. Like, he played for, he's played in the World Cup. And I was like, I was literally one of like five people in the shop and three of them were women. They were all just went, what an, and I was like, nah, it's John Collins, like, yeah. come take a seat. And he came over, and I've never met anybody so arrogant in my life. And then when I was obviously doing my, my, my diligence for you coming on, I seen that you had a, a very similar experience yeah. from it, the Hibs. Because um, that's when you went back to, like, on, was it on trial to try and resign? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, listen, it's not surprising with John Collins. Um, listen, it's, it's weird because John Collins was, was, I grew up a Celtic fan, and John Collins was one of my heroes. I had posters about my wall. And it's true, never meet your hero. True saying, never meet your hero. Um, because what a letdown of a man. Um, I went back to Hibs in trial. Uh, I'd left Falkirk with John Hughes. And the two strikers at the time at Falkirk were Anthony Stokes, who scored 18 goals in 16 games and went to Arsenal for £2 million. And Alan Gow, who went to Rangers. Um, so I couldn't get in the team, which I had no complaints. Those two were flying. They both got big moves. So I'd left in the January. Um, and I was a free agent and. I was in Tesco one night doing my shopping and John Park phoned me. Uh, John Park was at, uh, I think he was at Celtic at the time. So I knew it wasn't for a move to Celtic. So he phoned me and he said to me, listen, he says, uh, how do you fancy going back to Hibs in trial? Now, I, I'd left Hibs a few years previously and I would have loved to have went back to Hibs. You know, Stephen Fletcher, I think, had been injured and they were down to the bare bones up front and I said, I'd love to go in trial. He says, me, myself and Rod Petrie have organised it. He says, so you begin on Monday morning. So little did I know that John Collins had nothing to do with this. So Rod Petrie and John Park over his head had brought me in. So straight away I'm thinking, that's not good. That's not good. Straight off the bat, that's not a good thing that I've been over the manager's head, which is fair enough. And I goes in on the Monday morning and I goes in and I sees all the old faces at Hibs. You know, Tam the, Tam the Chin, 
wee kit man, uh, Joyce, the kit woman, uh, wee Gavin. People had known that we're still, still at halves. Uh, and a lot of young boys would come through, Louis Stevenson and all that still there. There were kids, Paul Harmon when I was there. And, um, and then John Collins would come into the dressing room. And John Park had said to me before, I went into Hibs, he says, listen, Tom, he says, uh, be in the gym all the time. He says, I don't know if you, and I, I, I was never in a gym bunny. He says to me, he says, Tom, just go into the gym every day, right? Because Collins loves boys that are in the gym, right? Loves boys that are in the gym. I says, right. So Monday morning, I guess I never am in the gym. And uh, I hadn't even really met John Collins and he came in and he's, John Collins was doing his workout and I never said a word to me. It was like, the most awkward silence ever. Like, I'd been in trial and I'm half expecting him to come in and go, how are you doing, Tom? He never said anything to me. And I was thinking, fucking, this is weird, man. And then, so anyway, we trained and I trained well. He'd never said a word to me, right? He ignored me. And we played Dundee United away from home in a reserve game and I was playing. So I went up and I played wide right, which was, wasn't in my position. But anyway, I, was, I bust my ass because I was desperate to get back to Hibs. So I bust my ass. We won the game 5-1 and I played well. Uh, John Collins never went to the game. He never even came to the game to watch. So I'm thinking, I've had no chance to get a deal here. So I spoke to my agent on the Friday afternoon after the game. Uh, and uh, John Parker said, listen, Tom, we've got you another week. He says, John wants to have a look at you for another week. And I'm thinking, fuck, he's not spoke to me for a week. <laughs> so anyway, Glenn trains again, trains hard. Following Friday, we're playing res- uh, Rangers Reserves in a friendly at Meadowbank Stadium. And uh, there was a wee bit of buzz about the place, you know, was a, there was quite a few house fans at the game. I think a lot of them, listen, some of them probably didn't want me back, but I think a lot of them were quite fans of me coming back to the club and, and whatever. And I played well in that game as well. And uh, coming after the game, Mark Proctor, who was one of the assistants there, came in and says, Tam, you're excellent. Um, well played your, your, your attitude was brilliant if that was me I'd be a deal now blah 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 and I said it in front of everybody so I th- my confidence was up I thought I'm going to get a, a deal and then um, my agent phoned up after the game and says listen uh, I'm not going to offer you so I said alright no n- n- problem no problem so literally, literally I was into Hibs in trial for two weeks and John Collins never uttered a word to me like not a single word um, and he never even phoned to tell them it was somebody else. He got somebody else to phone my agent and say, no, he's not going to deal. So, Jeez. just an arrogant guy. Um, I went in there fucking bust my ass for two weeks. You know, there wasn't even a, a thanks. Or there wasn't even anything. Just nothing. And uh, funnily enough, I went to Sainford and Fenland just after that. And we played the uh, Hibs at East End Park. And I was as fired up as I've ever been in again <laughs> in my life. You know, I wanted to ram up him so badly. It was incredible. And Hibs had a great, great, Team at that time, Brown was playing Thompson, Whitaker, you know, Fletcher had a great team. We beat them 1-0. Remember Phil Maguire scored with about 10 minutes to go. And uh, there's a picture of me jumping in his back and giving it one of them to John Collins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just, oh, I loved it. I couldn't go over it. And unfortunately, I was cup-tied, but Dunfermline put them at the Scottish Cup that year as well. Jim McIntyre dinked the goalie. don't know if you can remember that in the replay. And uh, listen, it was... There wasn't any bitterness towards Hibs for me, it was him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, again, I was at that game as well at Hamden, and I walked by him in the tunnel after the game and see what he was doing, and I was fucking, get that off you. Um, I just, and then we played, this is another one, we played a testimonial game uh, for Ian Murray, and it was Hibs Legends against Hibs current team. I think Calderwood was a man, it must have been about seven or eight years ago. And I don't know how I got in the Hibs Legends team, but I must have been a token gesture. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm playing, Ian Murray t- invites me along, so I'm playing in the, in the Hibs Legends team, and Big Yogi's playing. 
uh, Darren Jackson, John Collins is playing, and we're playing Hibs first team, and they were and we drew six each for them. I don't know how we drew with them. That just shows you how bad Hibs were at the time. Um, and I played a pass to Gary Smith, another ex Hibs player. And Gary was getting older as well. He was retired, and uh, ball, I, I chipped it in behind for Gary, and I shouted, "Go on, Gary, chase after it!" And he was never getting it. They turned around and started laughing at me. And uh, John Collins said, hey, fucking stop messing about. Concentrate on the game. I'm like, my God, it's a testimonial game. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's a lot of fun. And he's, he was so arrogant as well, uh, even in that game. And that was the first time he spoke to me, actually. He was getting me <laughs> for, for getting a fucking pass away. Uh, and, and just, uh, listen, I speak to boys a lot that were there at the time, and there's not many people that I could work to say about him, to be honest. And, it's sad because he's, I think he's got a lot of good ideas in the game. You know, I listened to him in the press the other week and he was talking about our players don't work hard enough. He was absolutely bang on. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's obviously spent time in France. He trained two or three times a day. You know, I think he'd, he's got a place in Scottish football somewhere. Uh, maybe it's for younger players. I think he can mould a wee, wee bit more. And I think he has got, but the adults, like first team and man management was just zero. And obviously, I think the Hibs players went on revolt and went to Rod Petrie's house one of the years and said, you need to get rid of him. The training's horrendous. And listen, a lot of people, um, you know, no name names, but a lot of people don't like him. And listen, I think that's sad because, as I said to you, he was an absolutely phenomenal footballer, one of the best we've produced. And I think, as I said, he's got a lot of good ideas. But he's no my cup of tea. You know, he's no my cup of tea, but that's just, that's just my experience. He's with John. Again, like I said, I mentioned about my my father and like one of the the YouTube videos that he plays is is um, when Hibbs won the League Cup, and I think Collins was the manager at the time, and he's That's like, right. oh, "What what a guy, what a guy!" And I was like, "I've got a story to tell you," yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, yeah. and oh, big time pin right in that, and you know when again I, I told him that I had you coming on. And I told him the, the experience you had with him, and he's like, oh, it's amazing how your opinion can change someone. So there you go. Um, so yeah. again, stick, sticking with Hibs, um, maybe a difficult question for you to answer, but there was a lot of talent in that Hibs team that you played with, Derek Rardin, Gary O'Connor. They had decent careers, don't get me wrong, but I always felt that they could have gone on and done a lot, particularly, I mean, I remember Gordon Strachan saying that Derek Rardin was the best finisher he'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Why don't you think that it worked out for them? Obviously, Radden had that random stint out in China before all the cash was there. Mm. Um, Gary went out to Russia. And then, I mean, even Derek came back. He went four years without a league goal until, obviously, he reached the pinnacle and came to East Fife and scored for us. So <laughs> what, what, what do you think sort of happened with those boys? Um, listen, I think it was the same with several of us, to be honest. Um, it just didn't work hard enough. I just don't think that you're at, you know. There's a famous picture, you've probably seen it, where it's myself, Scott Brown, Gary Connor, Derek Riordan, and I think it's Stephen Dobie, we're all kicking a ball, and uh, we're all young, and if you'd have said to me then, who do you, who do I think would have, would have had the best career, who would the five, who would have been Derek Riordan, and who would I think would have had probably the poorest career, probably been Scott Brown, and that was just talent, talking, that was me just talking purely on ability, talent, but... It's not enough, you know. You've got to have a good attitude. You've got to be hungry. You've got to have desire. You've got to come in and want to improve and get better every day and be, be dedicated. And you know, Derek and, and Gary were phenomenal talents, and just they weren't dedicated enough. Listen, I put myself in that bracket as well. You know, um, 
wasn't dedicated enough, didn't work hard enough, didn't train hard enough, and eventually it will catch up on you. Um, and I think it did with, with those two, myself as well. So where do I think it went wrong? I think Derek Ireland was the best at the five in terms of talent. You know, he was a Gordon Strachan, if he did say, you know, he did say that. Absolutely agree with him. He was a phenomenal finisher. Left foot, right foot, you know, had pace, you know, great first touch. You know, he had everything, Derek, to go in and get 50, 60 caps and play at a really high level. Um, you know, but I just think, you know, there comes a time where you keep blaming managers. And I went through that stage as well, where you keep blaming managers, keep blaming other people, but eventually you're just going to look in the mirror and go, well, maybe it was me. Maybe it was, maybe it was my attitude. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's myself talking. Um, eventually the penny drops, but I think with, with Derek and Gary as well, obviously Gary had problems with other stuff um, off the park. And, you know, I think him going to Russia, um, himself was a disaster. Um you know, Big Gary was not the brightest anyway. Giving him all that money earlier than himself was just a recipe for, for what happened, really. Um, but two, two cracking boys, you know, not got a bad bone in their body. You know, still speak to me, Deeks and Big Gary, and they're great boys. They've not got a bad bone in their body, you know, and that's the boys you want to see do well. And they're both are good careers, listen. They both played at a high level and were captain internationally. But, you know, I think if you even asked the two of them myself, if they could have done better, I'm sure they would say aye. Um, but, uh, no, both 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 excellent players. Scott Brown um, had the best attitude out of all of us by a mile. You know, wanted to wanted to get better, wanted to work hard every day. Still got the same enthusiasm now at thirty five that he had when he was eighteen. And I think if you can maintain that hunger, and that desire, and that enthusiasm all through your career, then you'll you'll go and have a good career. And I think Bruni's got everything. He's he's he squeezed every last drop of his career, uh, whereas. Other people, like myself and Gary, had plenty more to squeeze out and never. Um, but but Bruni, to be fair to him, uh, again, a great boy, loving me bits and one of my good pals. He, he's had a brilliant career because he's he's dedicated and he's he's been hungry. I'd absolutely love to have seen him test himself down south. Um, you know, boys like him, James Forrest, you know, you, you, you want to see, like, and it's no disrespect to Scottish football, but you... Well, and at the same level as English Premiership, you know, cards on the table, you would like to see them uh, gone and test themselves. But I mean, you know, you look at Scott Brown's career and everything that he's won, you know, mm-hmm. and he'll be making good money at Celtic as well. Uh, do you think that there's the need to go down there, or or do you think that the desire of going down there might outweigh the success that you could get in trophies in Scotland? I think it's a great it's a great question. Um, Scott Brown could go on and become, probably after Billy McNeil, the most successful Celtic captain of all time. You know, if he went 10 in a row, you know, an absolute legend will go down in folklore. You know, the Celtic supporters, he's already, already a hero with him, but I think he's won 16 or 17 trophies. You know, he's, a, he's well respected, he's loved by the Celtic supporters, he's playing a big club. He's still earning, as you said, he's still earning good money. You know, he's not going to be skint when he retires, but another edge of that, you know, there's a Kieran Tierney situation where Kieran could probably have done the same, you know, and been at Celtic all his career and been that Paul McStay figure or Scott Brown, whatever, went down there and done, and done the well. But I think that money-wise, you know, Kieran Tierney, you know, 80, 90 grand a week, it's very difficult to turn that down when you're a footballer, you know, and even if you're on 10 or 15, 20 to get 90 and a five-year deal and you're not only securing your future, but your mum and dad's and your family, and you can buy them a house and a car. And that's something I'd love to have done. I'm sure every player would love to do that after a family. And to have that 
and to go and test yourself at a higher level at a good league. Difficult decision, and I don't think there's any right or wrong, to be honest. I respect both. I respect the guys that go and, go and get bigger money and test yourself. I respect guys like Scott Brown who stay and are loyal and want to do well for a club. So I don't think you can criticise them either way. I mean, you, your career, it, it took you to, to four different countries. And like when I was just recapping who you'd played for, your Wikipedia page described your, your playing career as nomadic. But was that through choice? Like, did you want to go and experience different things or was it just how things worked out? A little bit of both, I think. Um, my first ever, my first foray over uh, was a victim family with Stephen Kenny. We'd just been relegated and uh, they're cutting the wages the following season. Stephen had been sacked and, and Jim Mankler came in. And uh, there was an opportunity for me to go into the trial with, with the Colorado Rapids. And... I took it, you know, I could have probably stayed in Scotland at that point, but I just thought I'll go down there, I'll go down there and I'll, I'll, I'll try it out. And uh, I went down and trial with Colorado Rapids and got myself a contract and ended up in America. Um, but some of the other ones, you know, you play with all these clubs, if you're out of contract then there's no many takers. You know, you go where you're going to get a game or you're going to get a wage or whatever. There's no really a, you can't really pick and choose. You can't say, well, I don't want to sign for them or I'll, I'll wait for them. You know, that sometimes it was, that was the only thing that was on the table or whatever. Then you're going to, to maintain your career. You have to go and play. And that took me, as I said, to Ireland um, and to America twice. So I just think it's a little bit of circumstances. But at the start, it was my decision to go to to go over to Colorado. I mean, Colorado. Of all the teams in MLS, they're they're in a weird situation because obviously they they play at really high altitude. MLS yeah. as yeah, a league. About that. I, I I I've I've not been to Colorado. I've been to Real Salt Lake. And it's like you're you're up high in the in the press box, and you're like Jesus, I, my head's going really like lightheaded and everything. How how did you find the whole experience, like altitude travel? Because Colorado as well, it's like out here in Vancouver. Vancouver's got the most travel in MLS because we're going all over the place. Colorado as well's got a fair bit of travel. Yeah. Well, I had never actually ever been to America before. It was mental. All oh, right. Um, I'd never even been to America, and. Uh... So I signed for Colorado, done all the paperwork, and I was flying over. And I'd been told before I got here, altitude, a mile above sea level. Um, and I can remember getting off the plane, and it was so dry. Like, my lips were dry, nose was dry, you know, eyes were dry, everything was dry. And I had been playing with them for a while, so I was, I was in good shape, I was fit. So the first training session with, with Colorado, we went out and done a, a lap of the training ground. I was just doing a light jog around the park. And after like two laps, I thought, I'm, I can't breathe here. I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> and I could remember, I had to stop and I just went down and crouched down. And then I just sat down. I couldn't get a breath. And the, the fizzle ran over. And all the American boys were pissing myself laughing. And, uh, and the fizzle came over and gave me oxygen and all that. And uh, I, I, I can remember just sitting at the side. And I, I, was, I was in my bed after that. I went home to my hotel that day. Felt terrible when I was in my bed for three days. I didn't go to training for three days. I was dying with altitude sickness. I had to get the doctor to come out uh, and see me and give me pills, anti altitude, whatever it was, pills and, and stuff like that. And I couldn't get a breath. It was horrendous. And but once you got used to it, once I got used to it, uh, four or five weeks later, I was in the best shape I'd ever been in my life. I was honestly I could have ran up for three games. You know, I was so fit. I was up and down all day. I could run all day. Just once my lungs got accustomed to the to the air. And 
we had a great home record that season, and when teams used to come to your place, um, the last 20 minutes you could see them wilting. They were knackered. If you scored so many goals late on, and the manager had it in his head, keep going. Even if you're drawing and getting beat, last 20 minutes they will die. They, they'll, they'll, they'll collapse, and it happens so many times. And it was a weird wee psychological thing that um, they had this plaque outside the away dressing room in Colorado Rapids, and they're probably still there. Uh, welcome to Colorado. You are now a, a mile above sea level. <laughs> and it was right at their dressing room just to make them think of it even more um, when they walked in. So it was a clever little thing uh, that they'd done there. And listen, once you get used to it, Salt Lake's on the other side of the Rocky Mountains. Mm. And they were, I think they're similar altitude. But, um, teams would come to your place. We, we beat LA Galaxy 4 0. Beckham was playing. Um, Rude Hewlett was a manager. And we, honestly, we beat them 4 0. We beat New York 4 0 at home. Um, Juan Pablo Angel was playing at Assassin Villa. He would murder teams at home. Um, but you were talking about earlier the travel. Aye. Uh, it was very difficult. It it's was very, It still is. It's very difficult to win away from home in the MLS. Aye. See every week when you look at the results and see if you're doing a coupon, you just back the home team. <laughs> yeah, the home team. Um, the away teams, it's very difficult. Because as you said, you're going through different time zones. You know, it could be altitude, the travel. And it's when we were there, we, we didn't travel on a private plane or whatever. We, we were in a economy, we were in with the, the normal punter, so we were going, you know, maybe flying to one place or another, maybe take you half a day to get there, um, so very difficult to win away from home still is, I think, um, but the altitude was, was tough to start off. I the, the, the travel as well, like, up until this season, clubs were allowed to use four charter flights, but most clubs didn't use them because it cost an arm and a leg, so they just go into yeah. economy. Yeah, the new yeah. CBA that they've agreed, I think it's eight charter flights, but again, clubs aren't aren't using them because it, it just it costs so much money. And it's like MLS as a whole, it's weird because you're you you can be playing one week in altitude, the next week in freezing cold, and then it's like the heat of Florida or or LA, and yeah. then you've yeah. got grass pitches, you've got like fake pitches. How, yeah. how did you find all that? How easy is it as a footballer to adjust and go from one week playing in hot weather on grass to the next week cold weather on turf? Difficult. You know, it's, I think it's difficult for any player, especially if you're a British player to go over to America in the MLS. Um, there's been a few Scottish guys have been over with mixed results. Um, Aye. As I said, it, it's difficult to get used to it all. Um, we played at, at Houston and it was ridiculous. I mean, we played at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was like 140 degrees or something. I think that was it. The last ever last ever uh, day game, I think, in Houston or, or Dallas because I think there was somebody went down nearly died with dehydration. And I think the MLS stopped the, the day games. Um, but even at night, you know, it was 100 degrees of humidity and all that. And I just said, you're playing in tough. We all Salt Lake played in tough, um, which was like concrete. We've got a nice grass pitch now. But Colorado Rapids, we had a beautiful grass pitch. You know, and it was massive. I don't know if you can remember, Celtic played um, the MLS All-Stars out there. Yeah, I think that was in... It was at, it was uh. at Colorado. Uh, and Gordon Stratton, supposedly, this is a true, true story, Gordon Stratton uh, always goes out and walks the park and measures it, width and, and length. And he went out in, uh, that day in Colorado and said, this pitch is, is illegal. This, is, this park's too big. It was it was outside the standard whatever FIFA regulation. But obviously it suited us at Colorado to have a Aye. massive part because the teams would be knackered. And Celtic get murdered that night. I think it was about four or four, three or four nothing. They get tanked. And uh, 
So you go for a big pitch like that and you go to a wee tight, you know, Salt Lake because a wee tight ground with Astro. As you said, you go to Houston, 100 degrees, you maybe go to Seattle or somewhere that's pissing the rain. So difficult, aye, difficult, I think, to go over there as a as a British player. Um, same as it's probably the, the opposite of people coming over here, the pace of the game and stuff, but mm. I think very difficult to go over there. And when I was over there, Kenny Duker was there as well at C Spice. Aye. Uh, Kenny played with Al Salt Lake and uh, I think he struggled a wee bit as well with it also. No, it's great experience, but tough. I think a tough league as well. Uh, we, we've had a couple of Scottish guys in Vancouver. Kenny Miller was with us, and That's right. it worked yep. well for him, but his wife just couldn't settle, so he kind of went for that. Uh, yep. We had Barry Robson briefly, and yep. I, I'd like a true story about him. He was told before he signed, he said, oh, just so you know, Vancouver play on turf. And to him, mm-hmm. turf meant grass. So he thought he was coming to play on grass, and then he arrived and he saw what it was. And he... <laughs> He was a moaning bastard from start to finish. Uh, I was the, I was the only journalist he would really speak to nicely. He had no time for the other ones. And then uh, our goalkeeper after he left described him as the angriest man he'd ever met. Because he was just, he just didn't he settle. Aye. But so many of the, the British guys, they, they don't settle. But I mean, would, would you, if a young guy said to you, oh, I'm think, I've got an offer, Tam, from an MLS team or even a USL team, because you had your stint with Rochester as well, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. which seemed random. But um, I mean, do you recommend that they would go go over? Yeah, I, I would. I would. I think it was a great experience. Um, listen, now now the MLS is, is that was two thousand eight when I was there. So ah, it's now changed. It's so much um, you've got a lot of new clubs in there. Um, most clubs fill their stadium. Um, you get to travel. You get to stay in the best hotels, and you get to play in front of big crowds and. Listen, some of the big names over there just now, you know, real, real top players playing the MLS. So, no, I would definitely recommend it to anybody, um, especially now with the current climate in, in Britain, in Scotland. You know, it's you know, cutthroat. There's not a lot of money going about. There's no Aye. contracts going about. Um, even the scholarship, stuff like that. I've had a few young boys onto me um, inquiring about going to the scholarship to America, and I would recommend that as well. I'd out coaching uh, to Georgia Southern every year. Um, do a little All bit right. out, out there and... I couldn't recommend it highly enough. The facilities, everything about America is geared towards being successful. Um, so, no, I would definitely recommend it. Rochester Rhinos, you, you were speaking about, they yeah. played on the worst, that was probably how I retired at <laughs> 34. Um, they played on the worst astroturf I have ever seen. Picture a concrete park, car park, with a bit of turf put on it. It was horrendous, and we trained on it every day. And my Achilles was still, still struggling. My Achilles was shot. I mean, done. Uh, I had a wee brief spell in Ireland after that, but I was, I was, I was goosed. Um, that was, they had that part for, I think it was like a 10 year. I mean, it was worn down to the nub, you know, it was terrible. And I think you've got to be careful if you're obviously an older player going over to America and you're playing the USL or whatever. You've got to Aye. play and train on grass. You can't, you can't train and play on uh, Astro every week because you, you're no last. You'll be like Vancouver train on grass, but then they play yeah. on turf. Which yeah, yeah. That's, that wouldn't be as bad. I, I'd never played on like a turf pitch until they a few years back they, they started doing media matches so all the journalists could play each other along with ex pros. Ten minutes in, right. first time playing on it, my hamstring went. 
because I just I wasn't used to it. And then I got uh, elbowed by an ex-pro who's a centre back, and I went crashing to the ground, and I broke my rib because it was so co- like concrete, as you say. So I played three years in that, and then I haven't played the last three years because it's like my I'm 51 now. It's like my body can't take it. I'm shot. <laughs> Aye, I wouldn't recommend that for stuff to anybody, no. to be honest, especially not 51. So, how did your move to Rochester come about then? Because like Michael said, it was a bit random. Well, it came about when a city called Ado Rapids, a, a guy called John Murphy, who's now the head soccer coach at Georgia Southern, which I go over and visit every year in their coaching. Um, he was a guy that made my move to Colorado happen, and I still kept in touch with him. Um, and uh, I'd said to him I'd left, I can't remember, maybe I left Falkirk. United, I can't, that many clubs, I can't remember. <laughs> um, and I was at a contract and I was quite fancy going back over America and the wife is up for it as well. So I spoke to John Murphy, I said, listen, I'm interested in coming back over. I was 31 years old. And I said, I'm looking for, to try and go over, over to America. And so I'll put you in touch with my friend at Rochester Rhinos. And uh, I says, aye, great, USL. I says, right. And uh, John, basically, the guy had never seen me playing, Jesse Myers, who was the head coach at Rochester. But John had said, Take him, sign him. He's a good pro. He's a good lad. You, you, you'll enjoy it and different things. And and Jesse had watched a few videos and stuff. And I basically agreed it over the phone. The, the contract and went over there and they had, they had a great setup. I mean, they had a brand new stadium. Yeah, if you look, Google it, I look it up. Brilliant stadium, brand new, but fifteen thousand seater. Um, unfortunately, it was tough. But uh, the first season I was there, um, we signed a guy called Christian Nisch, who was a German goalkeeper, played in the Bundesliga. Uh, with a Greek centre half, who played in Serie B um, and played in the top league in Greece. Uh, a few other you know, boys that had been about and played at a good level, and we done really well the first season. We were unlucky not to win the whole thing. We got beaten the playoff final, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Great crowds as well. You were getting, you know, six or seven thousand at World Games, uh, which is a lot, you know, a lot more than some Premier clubs get here. Mm. And it was strange because we shared uh, shared the stadium with uh, the women's team. Uh, the Western New York Flash and they had uh, two of the world's best women footballers playing with them Martha who's Brazilian oh yeah uh, she's, she played with the Western New York Flash and the other one was uh, oh I can't remember she was a striker I mean, she played for America she was Abby Wambach oh yeah so that was there too yeah that was there too I think she's the all time leading international goal scorer men or women she was yeah, she just got overtaken earlier this year oh, by right. the Canadian uh, woman but oh, apart from Sinclair. aye that's right aye. it was a good question because I remember getting in the pub one night and I thought that's Abby Wambach she played with the Western New York Flash um, Marta's still they, playing they, 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 were, they were selling out they were getting 15,000 at their games men and the men's team they were getting 7 Uh Aye, it was a mad soccer, mad soccer city, uh, Rochester. But you know, I, I was there for two years. The manager left, new manager came in, and I came back home, and subsequently their crowd were dwindling. Uh, and now they're now they're out the game. They, they took, I don't know if they're taking a definite break, but I think they're coming back taking, next year. I think they're sure to come back next season. Aye. Which is listen, it was a mad soccer time. We were doing well. We were getting big crowds and. Uh, they all loved the, loved the soccer there, so I, I hope to see them back. Um, they were a crack club and still the only uh, non-league team to win the US Open Cup. Aye. Um, which is a plenty of fame. They won it in there. Uh, they were outside the MLS, so no, good club. Go back to your career in a whole then, mate. What would you say is the, the main thing that you look back on with pride? Um, I just think maintaining. Um, 
playing for so long. Um, you know, career for full time pro for seventeen years. Um, you know, played at the top. You know, top two levels most of my all of my career, bar the wee spell I had in the juniors towards the end of my career. But apart from that, I played in the top league or you know the first division, uh, bar a couple of loan spells. So, um, listen, I could have done better. I think everybody's got regrets in their career, but. You know, I fulfilled a lot of my dreams, you know, playing and scoring against Celtic and Rangers and playing in cup finals and uh, playing in Europe and scoring in Europe for Derry City um, and, and playing all over the place. So, listen, I had a lot of great times, uh, a, lot of, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, um, relegated a few times, uh, lost a few cup finals. Um, I should have known uh, when these five get picked up last day of the season, it was a sign for things to come. <laughs> <laughs> my career which was never the best of luck to be honest but uh, no listen I thoroughly enjoyed it met a lot of great people and as you said just just being about just having that long longevity to, to keep going um, you know and well, listen, it takes a little bit of courage I think to go to Ireland and to go to America and play mm-hmm. football and stuff like that as well you get a comfort zone in Scotland which I think a lot of players do here you know you Go and experience other things. I got to travel all over America and Canada. Um, firstly, with Colorado, and secondly, to Toronto. You know, all these great cities and playing in front of big crowds and great experiences. Um, so, I think that I never won anything in my career, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my enjoyed my time in football. So, in terms of the, the, the main things you look back in pride, your assist to Wayne Rooney won't be one of them. <laughs> well, that came up the other week. Yeah, that, that was a cracker. Um, I was actually playing against. I played against Wayne Rooney uh, in a testimonial years before that for Hibs. He was at Everton, and he got me in a headlock when he was sixteen, and I was about twenty-three. And I shit myself. Uh, <laughs> and then I've obviously gave him an assist for my eighty when he shouted for the ball that night. I didn't even look round, and uh, I can remember him heading towards goal when he scored. And Scott Thompson was chasing after him. It was his testimonial. And Nipper was just about to look back at me and give me abuse and he remembered there was about 15,000 at the game and he was going to get weighed in and I think he just went off. You know, all right, Tom, I'm going to get my minted anyway. <laughs> uh, but aye, aye, I was, an, I was another great <laughs> great player I played against. I, I, when I seen you coming on, one of my mates said, you'll need to ask him about that and if you don't remember what it was, Michael, if you've never seen it, it was uh, obviously Scott Thompson's testimonial and Tom just turns around and plays a great through ball, honestly. If, if that was a genuine assist... <laughs> Top draw, straight through, and Wayne Rooney just goes one on one and scores it. So sorry <laughs> to bring that up to you, mate. I'm ah, taking it but I couldn't resist that. Hey, I've got a sister, Man United. Not many people can say that. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, talk a wee bit about obviously your under uh, under one um, career with Scotland. Never got capped at full level. Do you ever feel like you were close to earning a cap, or did you ever hear uh, any murmurs? I think I was only player at that time. Never got a cap, to be honest, uh, under Betty Vokes. Um, Aye. Unfortunately for me, I, I broke my leg um, just from bed to get the job. Actually, I broke my leg when I was playing for Hibs, and I was in the team and doing well. And I think if that never happened, you know, I, I could probably have got a cap. You know, I looked at some of the names that were getting caps, um, I'd have been certainly in the mix. Um, so, so it is a regret for me that I never get capped at a national level. I probably was close under Betty Vokes, um, you know, because he was capping everybody at the time. Um, to be honest, and. <laughs> No, apart from that, later on, no, no, I probably wasn't close at all. But probably in the early days at Hibs, I was, I would have been reasonably close to getting a cap. 
for any of our listeners that haven't heard your quote on uh, what you said to Rainer Bonhoff, could you maybe just uh, tell us it again? Rainer Bonhoff, uh, is that when he, when he never picked me? Yeah. I, I've, got, I've got an article and I've still got it. And I, honestly, I would, I would actually murder myself if I went back in time. I would just batter me. Um, <laughs> I think I, I was moaning I'd never get picked for an under-21 game. And I was in the paper and I was saying, you know, I'm going to be considering my international career if this happens again. <laughs> and then I was getting really born off a bit of abuse. And basically, guys won the World Cup and got about 100 caps for Germany. And here's me, a wee snottery ass guy from Glasgow, giving him abuse for not picking me. So, yes, that, if you ask me my regrets, that was probably certainly one. <laughs> Whack kick my ass. Oh, honestly, the, Stephen, I, I read that. that. The tears were rolling down my face. I was like, <laughs> So sorry again. That's two that you've had for me. You know, you're not going to jump in on one of mine again. Um, so you've, you've already touched on the fact that you said that uh, you don't think that Scottish players work hard enough. If it was up to you, so say for example, the job came up, Tam McManus in charge of the development for for Scottish football. What would you do? Fix our game? Listen, I would, I would, I would look along the lines of John Collins, and as I said to you earlier, he speaks a lot of sense. We don't, we're not dedicated enough. Um, I think we're good when we get to, you know, even when I played with, with Scotland under 15, 16, so we were as good as anybody. You know, we took some big scalps and I think the, the gap from 16 uh, up to 20 in Scotland is, is the, the major problem I think we've got. And there's too many, too many young players get sidetracked with drink, uh, women, you know, not working hard enough, going and playing golf after training, going to the bookies, whatever, playing snooker. You know, there's, we don't train hard enough. Um, I think you know, if you look at somebody like Andy Murray, um, who has totally dedicated himself to being the best he can possibly be, I think if you look at the start of Andy Murray's career, he looked as if he was a good tennis player. But if it came to five sets against somebody, he, would, he wasn't fit enough. He would cramp up or he would get beat. I think he took that upon himself. You know, and a, and a lot of blame goes out to coaches in this country. But I don't think I think it's individual that has to look within themselves. Andy Murray went out and said to himself, "I'm going to get as fit and strong as I can possibly get, and then we'll see how I get on against the big boys." And they came back a machine. You know, I remember just maybe I sit, over a period of five or six months, he, he totally transformed his body, you know, physically, fitness-wise, everything, and then you know it paid off. You know, but he was st- totally dedicated, and I think we've got to be totally dedicated here. Uh, to start producing some world-class players again. It's not good enough just to have talent. I mentioned some of the guys earlier, and I include myself in that. You've got to have a, a hunger and desire every day to get better. You know, and you know you, you can never train too hard. You know, and I don't think we train hard enough in this country. I, you know, we train a couple of hours and, and we go home, and that's it done. You know, you look at France and abroad, you know, even America, you know, I don't know if in America, the guys are never at the gym, you know, and really, really fit, athletic. And I think that's what the game is now. It's, you know, you've got to be big and strong physically. You've got to be quick. You know, you've got to be strong mentally. You've got to be tough. You know, we've got ability in this country. We produce good footballers. We don't kick on to produce world-class. And I think that's, you know, if that was me, up to me, I would go and get, if I was SFA, I would go and pay Andy Murray when he retires, whatever he wants and say, I want you to come in and oversee the youth development in Scotland, get him into schools, get him into clubs, and, and speak to them and tell them how, how he became a world-class professional. 
you know, because I think it's important to come from a guy like that. Andy Robertson as well, now a world-class fullback. Look how fit he is, how strong he is. 90 minutes up and down the wing. Hungry. You know, that's the type of players and people we've got to start producing because we've got the ability we've always had in this country. But from 16 to 20 is, is our problem, I think. And that's an area where we've got to produce more dedicated footballers. And, you know, a lot of people have a go at coaching us. You know, we're coaching it out of players and stuff. And I agree with that to an extent. You know, we've got to allow players to go and express themselves in a game. You know, maybe we're breeding robots a little bit. I get that. But it's got to come from the player. You know, you're going to go on a Saturday night after a, after a game and drink 12 pints. You know, are you going to go home, recover, have a protein drink, get ready to go again the next day? That's the difference, I think, between us producing good players to world-class players. That's just my opinion. Talk, talking about players like out in North America, they seem the younger guys seem more mature. I, it comes like I've spoken to guys out here. I've spoken to guys in Scotland, and like not trying to be disrespectful to the Scottish players, but a lot of the guys here they don't have the same kind of entitlement. It feels whereas a lot of the young guys, if they've been in Scotland under seventeen or under eighteen, it's like oh I've made it. I deserve to be playing first team football. Yeah, I think it's it's very apparent when I go and coach in America. In the summer, do the camps, you know, and it's all various abilities. You know, it could be boys and girls that are not very good, who their parents are just wanting them to get out of the house for a couple of days. Or it could be guys who are ambitious and want to get college. And every single one of them, you tell them what to do and they just do it immediately. Mm-hmm. There's no moaning. There's no, you know, there's no questioning anything. Tell them to do something, they do it. You know, and they do it to the best of their ability. Uh I think in Scotland, you know, I'm, I'm coaching with SFA at Bradford at Performance School. Some of the kids there, you tell them you do something, and it's a moan, you know, or it's a this and that, and, they, and you're telling them to do something for for their own good, you know, whether it's by going and do going and do some extra running, go and do some extra finishing, go and work on your left foot, go and work on your head, and go and do something individually that will make you better. There's a moan of divinity, you know. I think there's a little bit of that attitude in Scotland, whereas in America, as I said. You, just tell them to do something, they do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a difference I noticed over there as well, where the young kids over there, there's no the sense of entitlement, there's no the sense of why am I doing this and blah, blah, blah. You ask them to do something and they, and they go and work their backside off and do it. And uh, I think there's there's room for that here. They've got to get that in amongst the kids. I think that the, the pro youth, I think, is developing a little bit of that entitlement where boys are in it. Celtic or Rangers or Hearts or Hibs from age 10, 11, 12, 13 and the people filling their head with nonsense saying, you know, you've made it and they're on their Instagram and their Twitter and they're, you know, they think they've made it and then it comes 15, 16, 17, they maybe get released or whatever to have a setback and then they can't handle it. You know, and I, I think that's where uh, the reserve league com- has to come back here, and, and you, there's, there's a big debate here about B teams, uh, Coke teams. Uh, I think that would be good for Scottish football because I go and watch under 20s games, and it's the same boys playing against the same boys. So it could be Hearts against Motherwell under 20s, and you've got seven or eight boys from Motherwell playing against seven or eight boys from Hibs that played against since they were 12. They know each other, there's no learning anything. You know, in terms of the B teams, I think they're a great idea. Um, listen, there's a big argument. Where, where do they fit in in the pyramid scheme? You could debate that, you know, all night. Wherever they're put in, I think it's a good idea because 
they're going to be out there. They're going to be playing against, as I said to you, they're going to be playing against experienced professionals, but they're going to be playing in a style uh, and under coaches that are, it enables them to go into the first team better. You know, if they're playing 4 3 3, say Aberdeen Colts are playing um, somebody, they're going to be playing the same formation as Aberdeen are playing. You know, got, so it's going to be easier for somebody in that team to go in, step into their first team, if you know what I mean, rather than. Oh, aye. You know, there's an argument going and loan, going and loan to somebody. So if I, I'm, I'm playing for, for Celtic uh, Colts and I go and loan to Annan, and Celtic Colts play 4 3 3, they want to play in the ground, and, and I go to Annan and it's 4 4 2 and they just launch it. You know, there's a different, totally different style of play. Yes, you're getting the experience of playing against pros, but when you come back to your Celtic and you're expected to play in a different system and you're going to try and get into their first team, you've not learned anything. So I think it's better that way in terms of the Colt teams. Uh, and the B teams um, I don't think they should come right into the league I think they should be working their way up from the bottom level up which, which eventually might still happen um, but, but you've got teams in Portugal you know Portugal Spain Germany all, the, all these countries have got B teams in the lower leagues so wh- why, why do we not why do we not at least try it just eat a bash you know just just try it for a couple of years and see if we can produce anything because we're not we're not producing the same same players we used to. Well, when, when you look, though, we've, we've never made a major tournament since 98. And a, a, Scot- a country like Scotland, when I was a, a boy, it's like it was guaranteed. Apart from 94, we'd never made the World Cup. But five out of the six years, we made the World Cup. And then you look at it now and it's... You, you, you see the group and you know right away, oh, well, that's us fucked. We're not, we're not qualifying again. No, no listen, it's, it's, it's so disappointing for, Scots, for us Scottish fans and... You know, now we've got such a good squad of players now. You look at our midfield, uh, we've got left-backs coming out of our ears. Um, we could be doing with a striker. You know, we've, we've got the talent. And, and as I said, it's just given that little bit extra, a little bit extra dedication. I think we've got the talent to qualify. Uh, but something just seems to hold us back, whether it's mentality, whether it's bottle. You know, it could be t- winning the big games when we need to, beating the minnows when we need to. We seem to raise it against the bigger teams mm. and blow it against, you know, blow it against your, your, your minnows. You know, I think Georgia have beat us a couple of times and done us. So, I don't know. We've got the talent, you know, and hopefully now under Stevie Clark, who's, I think, very experienced, he'll get us back to the Craig Brown. And Craig Brown took a lot of stick for the style of play, but... He was very successful, mm. you know, and he had that style of play. We never conceded a lot of goals, and we always managed to have a goal fit at the other end. So I think Stevie Clark will get back to that kind of, you know, being hard to beat and trying to, you know, just to eke out results. And I think if we can get back to that, we can get back to a big tournament. You were talking about, obviously, the, the sort of culture of growing up and, and play, and, you know, I'm probably a wee bit closer to the grown up age than what you boys are. But if I look at the, the players that I played with when I played football, there was great players, but like you said, got affected by the drink, got affected by you know women, whatever. Do you think that's a cultural thing, or do you think that potentially um, Gordon Strachan, after we failed to qualify for the last tournament under him, came and said it was genetics, which I was a bit like, well, Lionel Messi is like five foot whatever and is the best player in the world. Not a Ronaldo Messi debate, but you know, I I didn't understand how he could come out and say that it's genetic. I'm more in line with you that I think that it's it's cultural. Yeah, it's about both of me. You can argue, you look at the players that Spain developed and brought through, um, you know, Javi and Iniesta. <laughs> they guys were like five foot seven, five foot eight. Um, so it certainly wasn't the genetics with them. 
I think it is culture, it's cultural. I think, as I said to you earlier, it's getting to 16, 17 and, you know, that, taking that next step. Maybe getting the first team and you're doing well and getting a, bit of, bit, getting a bit of fame, a bit of money, and you just think, well, I've made it. And that's it. You know, you, there's, there's no the hunger to keep going. I mean, you look at guys like Ronaldo. I mean, the guy's a machine. He's still, every week, you know, he's got probably £500 million in the bank. He's won everything, every award. And he's still, you know, I think it was in pre-season, he was outrunning everybody. He was in first and, and out last. Uh, the hunger, that's the sort of hunger you need to, to get to the top. And I think that's something we're lacking severely in this country is, is the hunger. Andy Robertson is, you know, a rare, you know, kind of occurrence for us over the last few years, having that kind of top-class player. Darren Fletcher probably just before him, playing at the highest level with the biggest clubs in, in, in Europe and different things. And, I think it's cultural. I think we've got to get into boys early doors about diet and you know and, and everything you know. And then it starts at the schools. We we try and do it at Praetors with the kids. Uh, we um, you know confiscate if I come in with juice and all that. But at the very start when we first came in, it was Andy Goldie who's now at, uh, at Dundee United. He's the head of youth up there, and boys would come in and they're all different clubs: Hamilton, Motherwell, Rangers, whatever, and. Uh, Lunchtime, they'd go and get the lunch and come back in with a bottle of iron brew and crisps and juice at like 13, 14. And we, if we, we, we stopped being that the bus straight away. I mean, we, we confiscated everything. We phoned their mums and dads and said, don't give them it to school. And I think that's what you've got to develop early. You know, Because if you get into a habit of eating rubbish at 12, 13, 14, you're going to keep doing it. And uh, eventually, as I said to you, it, it catches up on you. And it all starts with what you're putting on your body and different things and how you train how you recover, and uh, that's something that, as I said to Andy Murray, is, would be the perfect example for me, the SFA, as I said, get him in, and into the schools, into the clubs, you know, have a, have a, a PowerPoint, you know, and, and the kids would, I think, really take it on board from someone like that, who's who's a top world-class athlete, Andy Robertson as well. Definitely. And, and you've touched a wee bit on league reconstruction, which I think Mike's going to ask you. Just before I get to that, it's like is, is that why you you like you're doing the kids coaching as opposed to going into like coaching in the main? Have you never had any interest in like getting into management? Has coaching kids the way that you see how you can have a better impact in the game? Um, I'm, I'm doing my A license just now. I'm doing the second part of that A license. I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing at Bradford with the kids. It's great for me because a lot of individual stuff. You know, I don't. I coach them Monday to Friday and then they go to the clubs at the weekend and play, you know, so there's no really any pressure on me in terms of results or anything. I'm just in there to try and make the kids better, you know, individually. Uh, try and make them better off the park, give them, you know, advice, you know, in terms of what they're eating, how, how they're training, recovering. You know, if, if I spot a weakness in them, then I'll, I'll try and get them to work on it. If I spot a strength, I'll try and get them, make them better. So I enjoy that side of things, uh, the kind of one-to-one in, in small groups. Um, whether I'm going to Go on and be a coach at the men's level, probably, probably I will in the future. Um, if maybe just not at the right time and just now, once I get my A license, maybe next year I hope to try and get in somewhere and get coaching because, as I said, I've worked under some really good managers. I've worked under some really shite managers, so I think I can take a bit of both, to be honest with you, um, into my own career. And I think I would regret it if I never had a, had a pop at it, you know, and. Uh, Listen, if I'm, a, if I'm a Gary Neville and I go out and I crash in my ass straight away, I can always come back to punditry. Uh, but I'll definitely 
definitely want to go and give it a go, and I, and I will. I will. I definitely will. But not just now. Once probably, hopefully, this pandemic clears off, and next year, next year, it's, it's a bit clearer. Uh, there's so many clubs in the new West of Scotland League here uh, as Aye. a pyramid system into the into the Lowland League. So I think there's 64 clubs uh, in that in those conferences. So if I can't get a job in in one of those 64, then I'm still chucking it. When you mentioned punditry, it, it seemed like you've gone into that so naturally. I I listen to you when you're on off the ball a lot, and you you do the the mics on game day and stuff. Was that just something that was natural for you? It's just something you've enjoyed doing, getting into that and journalism because it, it seems a perfect fit for you. Yeah, um, I've always enjoyed talking. <laughs> Probably the reason why I've had fucking fourteen clubs. To be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I've always had an opinion, um, which I think is good. <laughs> Obviously not good when you're a footballer, but uh, going into punditry, if you've got an opinion, um, whether people agree with you or not, is, is it irrelevant. You've got to say what you think. Uh, I take a lot of stick on social media. I mean, I get so much abuse, but I don't mind it. I'd rather, be, I'd rather speak my mind than be a cheerleader for an old firm club or whoever. And there's plenty out there. I will no name names. Um, but... I enjoy the punditry, uh, enjoy the radio stuff. You know, I'm doing the Peter, Peter and Ruffy show. I'm in there a couple of days a week. Um, and it's great. I, I, listen, you're getting paid for, for giving your opinion. And uh, it's not a bad gig. And there's not as much pressure on as being a manager, you know, and having to win every Saturday. You know, I can only imagine the pressure on, especially in, in, nowadays in social media, you know, Aye. a couple of defeats away from fans shouting for your head and, and getting the bullet. So... No, I enjoy the punditry, but I will, I'll definitely give the coaching a go in the future. League reconstruction. It's like, I know we could talk hours for that, and I know we've had you on for a while already, but I, I, I've been following it from afar, and it seems like farcical how it all played out. I mean, as a Hibs man, you might be kind of happy that Hart's been doing, but at the same time, you must have some sympathy for them. But how, how should all of this have been sorted as far as you're concerned? I mean... To me, it, it, the fact it's still rumbling on and we're hoping to start the season in less than a month, it's just, it's ridiculous. For me, it should have been sorted out straight away. It should have been 14-10-10-10, in my opinion. You know, we're in a pandemic. You know, clubs are really, really struggling. You know, you look at Wigan today and its Aye. administration, I think that's going to be the first of many. Um, clubs up here are really, really going to be toiling. A few, I think, have stopped, will go out the game. So I don't think anybody should have been punished. I don't think Hart should have been relegated. I don't think Partick Thistle should have been relegated. I don't think Sven Rath should have been relegated. I think they should have brought up Brewer Rangers and uh, Kelty Hearts into League Two and had no relegation. But then at the same time, you're going to have people at the other end of the scale going, well, if you don't have relegation, you can't have champions. You can't have promotion. Which would have upset, obviously, the biggest club in the country. Well, yeah. Celtic at the minute. So... Where do you, you know, I just don't think anybody should have been relegated. I think it's a shambles. I think Hearts and Partick Thistle are well within their rights to go and I don't think they're going to get reinstated, but I think they'll definitely get compensation um, for being relegated. You know, no club should have been worse off than this. And you've got three clubs who evidently are. You had clubs in the playoffs as well who were, you know, struggling. You could have got, got promoted, you know, breaking, you know, probably a little bit fortunate for them. Uh, I think they were they were going certainly into the playoffs. And I, I don't think they would have beat Kelty Hearts or, or Brewer Rangers to be honest. But 
No, there shouldn't have been any relegation. 14-10-10-10 would have been my solution from the very start. There was a lot of things bandied about, 14-14-14 and, and different things, and then Colt teams. and People just going round the houses and, and there was nothing getting done. Um, and it, it was always going to happen like this. You know, if you've got 42 clubs trying to agree on something and, it was, you know, and all infighting and all self-interest and different things, you're never going to get a solution that was going to please everybody. So now, looking forward, I think we should have someone independent of everybody, mm. like a, a governor or some somebody who just looks oversees it all. They do it a lot in America or Canada in the sports, you know, and somebody who makes decisions on behalf of all the clubs rather than all the clubs making decisions because it's been a shambles and it's really, really... It's been sickening, it's, it's been tiresome, it's been murder for us all to talk about. It's been, do you know what I mean? We want to speak about other stuff, but this has dominated everything for three months. It's a shambles, to be honest. I mean, 14, 10, 10, 10 was what I thought made sense until these five board explained to us that they would be in a league within no fans, basically. They'd lose all the top fans or clubs that had the biggest fans, so they'd be worse yeah. off that way. And it's like, there's never a solution that's going to please everyone. That's, that's the problem. And I mean, Yeah, because and, and Falkirk and Wraith Rovers would have been up out the yeah, league, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. and Partick wouldn't yeah. have come down. So we'd have had Cove and Airdrie as the only clubs that would maybe have uh, brought I, I fans. I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. So uh, it, it's tough. You, you, you can't please everyone. I mean, England, it's still going. Obviously, League One, League Two didn't, and the Championship and Premier are. Now, that's going to go into July. I saw this as an ideal opportunity to to look at summer football for Scotland, and you've experienced it playing out in America. Now that I've experienced it, I, I said this to someone else in an earlier interview, when I go back now to Scotland for games and it's freezing cold in January, I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we not playing football in the summer when it's more comfortable, you're not going to have games called off and you're maybe going to get more fans in? I think all the fans would be up for it, to be honest. And I played in summer football in Ireland as well. Uh, played for Derry City and Limerick, who both played mm, yeah. March to November, October, November. And uh, brilliant. Playing the middle of June and July. Great weather, you know. And I think it's better for supporters as well. You know, and you're dragging kids about in the pissing rain and freezing cold in January and December. And, you know, sitting freezing at a game. It's not enjoyable. Your kids probably won't want to go back, you know. You know simple as that you know, don't want to sit in the cold and, and get soaked um, so I, I think it's a no-brainer um, to go to summer football <laughs> if we're going to get 42 clubs to vote on that I think we'll be here for a long time <laughs> I think about half three months before we get a decision uh, and that could end up in the courtrooms as well so I think somebody's got to make that decision and not the clubs to be honest obviously you've t- talked a wee bit about um, social media and uh, I've, I've followed you for a while and you, you get some amount of pelters, like you've said yourself. And, and you know what, fair play to you because I think that it's, it's really, really easy to be a yes man, but obviously you're, you're probably the polar opposite to that. And when you're talking about your opinions, I'm definitely sure that that's a, a McManus trait, having known Paul as long as I have as well. But, you know, could you, what would you say that is the sort of good and bad of it then? Is, is it bad of it just the, the general a-holes that will come and just tweet you abuse for, for being a hubby SH1T or, or whatever? But like, if, do you think that your, how outspoken you are on it has helped you into your sort of path into punditry? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, um, listen, I, was, I wasn't a top player. I didn't play for Celtic Rangers or whatever. I, I didn't play 
you know, at, at the highest level. Um, so I think it's important that you give a, an opinion. I, I didn't really do it to be a pundit. I just thought, I'm watching a game or I'm watching somebody speak or I'm just going to say what I think of that person or the team or whatever. And I wouldn't say it in a bad way. I would never be overly critical of any individual or anything, but you've got to give your opinion. And, and uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff about social media, Twitter. There's a lot of knowledgeable people on Twitter. It's great to debate with people sometimes. And, you know, you could... Somebody would say something, you go, "Bye, yeah, I agree with that. That's that's a good point he's making there, or she's making." Um, and then you've get, as you said, you've got the general just idiots who are usually with a tricolour or a Union Jack in their uh, avatar. <laughs> and both of them just spout bile to everybody, and uh, it's always the same. If you say something about Celtic negative, the Rangers fans will love it. You know, the retweets and liking it, and the Rangers fans will be more. Great time. And if you do the opposite, the critical arrangers, you get the Celtic fans on giving you, oh, brilliant time, well done, I'll agree with you 100% and all that. So that's just social media. You're, you're, you're in this country, if you're commenting on stuff like that, you're never going to please everybody. Same with Hearts and Hibs or anybody, Motherwell, Hamilton, East Five, Cowden Beef. You know, anybody you're commenting on, you're going to get people who's going to agree with it and people who think you're talking a lot of shite. Or people who, who just can't take any criticism whatsoever of their club, whether it's right or not, they just yeah. think, no, he's been critical of us, we're going to give him abuse. So I think there's, I think it's good to, for certain aspects there. You know, as I said, you get to chat to a lot of people and uh, other times, but I, I've got a thick skin, it doesn't really bother me, to be honest, you know, the abuse. Uh, and people always say, how can you put up with that? And how yeah, people are saying this and that, I just go, it doesn't really matter, it's not affecting me. Uh, it can affect other people, which the mental health comes into it. You know, people being, being critical of people, so I think you've got to be careful. Um, but all in all, I've, I quite enjoy Twitter. I quite, uh, you know, it's it, it keeps me involved in football. It keeps me my name out there, kind of thing. And I enjoy I enjoy following other people who who, who I think talk a lot of sense about football as well. Well, there's never going to be any dangers of you getting splinters on your ass or sitting on the fence anyway. No, um, no <laughs> so. The two questions that we generally tend to ask everybody that comes on the show, best 11 played with, best 11 well, played I've against. I've got them down, I've got them ready. Good man, good man. Let's go for it. We'll go for start off right. with your best 11 played with. Best 11 I've played with, Casper Smeichel, goalkeeper. Oh. Uh, played with Casper at, uh, at uh, Falkirk on loan. One of the biggest assholes I've ever came across, but top oh. goalkeeper. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. Right back, uh, Didier Ragath. I actually played him at Hibs when he was a striker. He was only briefly at Hibs and ran him up, which got him his move to, to Celtic. Uh, left back, James McLean, who I played with at Derry City. Two centre-halves, Gary Caldwell and Frank Sozzi. Gary Caldwell played with, coming through the ranks at Hibs in, in Scotland. Very underrated for me. I thought he was a good player, good centre-half. Frank Sozzi was phenomenal. Uh, probably the best player I've ever played with. Um, Midfield, Paul Gascoigne played with Gaza at Boston United. Gaza was well past his best, uh, but he still showed little flashes of, I think, what he was capable of, even at 35-36. That was his last senior club. Scott Brown um, played with Scott at Hibs. What he's been unachieved, is, I think, speaks for itself. Uh, Darren Fletcher played with Darren Scotland in the 21s a few times. Trained with him, thought he was a top, top class football and professional. Good guy as well. Uh, but in front of them, Russell Latape, uh, 
Russell would smoke 40 fags a day, you know, come in, push the training, and we still run amok. Uh, <laughs> if we're talking about attitudes. If Russell Lappy had a good attitude, he'd have been one of the best players in the world, to be honest. <laughs> uh, two strikers, Kenny Muller. Love Kenny. Come through the ranks of Hibs with Kenny. Kenny had a great career, still playing when he was 40 years old. Great professional. And Derek Riordan, another East Fife. Uh, ex East Fife player, uh, Deeks, I spoke about him earlier, supremely talented uh, striker. So that was the best I wanted to played with. Derek Riordan, by the way, just, just, to, just to touch on him, see, when he came to us, you could still see what a player he was. And it, it was, you want to know what? When we signed him, I was like, how? Like, how have we got him? Because Aye. obviously, it, it, I was like, that's beyond the realm of possibility for an East Fife fan to get a player like him in. No offence, Tam. Um, but, you know, but when he came to us, he, he scored, I think, in his first handful of games. And, and then, because it was like a trial period, and they were like, boom, deal, signed him. And he just absolutely tanked after that. Um, I think he went to, to Edinburgh after that. But That's it was right. a real shame because I, I really wanted to see him kick on and, and show us what he was capable of. But obviously, we touched on him earlier on. But right, best 11 against, you've already mentioned one of my absolute heroes. So I'll be shocked if he's on your team. Right. Best 11 I've played against, Stefan Clausen goals. Uh, scored a few goals past him, to be fair. Uh, scored three or four goals against Rangers, against him, but great goalkeeper. Uh, right back, Alan Hutton. Uh, played against Hutton when he was at Rangers. He was unplayable at times. You know, some athlete, pace. Had a great career in England as well. Uh, two centre-halves, uh, Bobo Baldi. Bobo Baldi was terrifying, to say the least. He was... Six foot five, six foot six, bulk like heavyweight boxer. Used to wear massive metal studs uh, that would just frighten the life out of any striker. Uh, so I always tried to avoid him when I was on the park. Uh, Lorenzo Amoruso was the other centre half for Rangers, crank player. And left back Arthur Newman, who was a Rolls Royce. I just thought he was unbelievable. I played against him a few times when I was playing wide right. And uh, supremely fit, quick, very hard to play against. Um, Great player. Uh, David Beckham, I mentioned him earlier. I'd played against Beckham twice and uh, for Colorado against LA Galaxy. Played in an absolute shite team, to be honest. It was the salary cap over there. Uh, LA Galaxy, I think, finished bottom in the division because they paid him and Landon Donovan all the money and the rest were absolute shite. Uh, and we gubbed him for nothing. So the salary cap didn't quite work out with LA Galaxy. Which was the manager. Um, Barry Ferguson, uh, Midland Park, worked with Barry now, Peter Ruffy show, uh, you know, still annoy him now, absolute phenomenal player, brilliant player, um, and great guy as well, got in on well, in the PLZ, had a couple of nights out with him, so a cracking guy as well. Uh, Paul Lambert, the other one, centre mid, uh, top player, won the European Cup, uh, Bruce Dortmund, and Mikel Arteta, his uh, other one, and I can remember playing for Hibs against Rangers at, at Ibrox and uh, Barry Ferguson and Michaela Tetto, the two, two in the middle of the park, and they absolutely destroyed us. We only got beat 2-1, but it was like, we were so relieved to get out of Ibrox having no one get beat 2-1 because it could have been like 12-1, the goal with the world. Eh? Uh, two forwards, Henrik Larson, I think speaks for himself, probably the best players played in Scotland over the last 20 years. And uh, the other one was Ronald De Boer. Um, Again, top player for Rangers. Uh, played the Barcelona, 
I thought he was a class act at Rangers, so that was the other 11. Did I miss it, your hero? Well, I must admit, I was expecting to hear a lot more of Man United players for the testimonial game in your team. I know. I thought there had been a few in there, but funny well, you mentioned... Ger- Gerard Piquet played that night as well, and Skulls and all that, but I didn't want to... Yeah. We'll have played against him for like half an hour on the testimonial, so <laughs> a bit shy to put them in. I had Darren Young on at the weekend, and uh, and he picked a lot of them. I gave him permission aye, to be fair. I said he could pick them. Any stories about Darren Young for when we get him next on? Yes, I have. Uh, <laughs> Darren's a great pal of mine. Played for, for Dunfermline. <laughs> Played with Dunfermline for me, and we played we played Celtic at Parkhead, and uh, I think your right back went down injured in the warm up, and Darren Young was not a right back, but Stephen Kenny played him right back at the was on the bench, and uh, Aidan McGeady was playing for Celtic at Parkhead, and uh, I have never seen a player get destroyed more in my life than Darren Young that day against McGiddy. McGiddy done that, see that wee turn he does, the little double drag back thing, he must have done it about five times. And eventually I was looking at the bench, we were just chuckling on the bench. It was like, Darren was like a corpse through the ground at one point. He was just, he got <laughs> annihilated. It was a doing. So every time I see him there, I speak to him on Twitter or whatever, I just go, here, Eden McGiddy, talk me through that and all that, and he just laughs. So if you ask Darren, Darren Young how he, how he got on against Eden McGiddy at Parkhead, he will tell you he got the biggest roast in his life. Never picked him in the team he played against though, Mike, did he? I know, I <laughs> wonder why. He's, he's blocked it from his memory, obviously. <laughs> oh, he got roasted. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, we're definitely going to bring that up to him. And finally, like uh, this one only came to me because obviously you're wearing your, your Colorado shirt. What's the best piece of football memorabilia you've got then? Any, mm. any big names that you, you traded a shirt with or anything like that? I have. I'm going to get it in the you. Cool. Happy days. Nice. Oh, nice. Unreal. From Boston? Yeah. Um, that was Gaza. Gave that to me. Signed it to me. Uh, and that was his last senior club. Uh, it was, was Gaza's last senior club. So Gaza was brilliant. I loved, you know, me and him stayed in the same hotel down there for five weeks. Used to go to train together and all that. And what a guy. Brilliant guy. Uh, and gave me that strip so I see that's probably my, my biggest wee bit of memorabilia apart from my <laughs> of course <laughs> apart from my East 5 programme by the way that I was see when you brought that out I was, I was delighted to see that because it's good to see that I mean, I mean when I got in touch with you initially you were like yeah right away 100% um, and you loved your time at East 5 but you never know whether people are paying you lip service or not but it's, it, obviously seeing you bring the programme out and stuff it, it's good to know how much the club meant to you Aye, absolutely. Great club. Thanks so much. Amazing. Brilliant interview. Really, really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah, really appreciate cool. it. Been a great chat. See you later, Thanks guys. Cheers. Cheers, Tam. Have a good Brilliant. one, buddy. Take Thank care. you. Cheers. Bye-bye. So that was our conversation with Tam McManus, one that I thoroughly enjoyed. And for me, a personal highlight was right at the beginning there. He might have been sitting in his MLS shirt, but I don't know about you, but I was absolutely delighted to see him bringing out his programme from his first game. I, I loved that because it showed, A, what the, what the club meant to him as well. He was only here for a short spell, as we talked about. But the fans took him to our hearts, and he's obviously... 
I mean, he just talked so passionately and with so many happy memories of his time there. But I, I'd, I'd like to, I like to see like players that have kept things like that. I know it was like a big moment for him as well because he had gone on loan, stuff like that. Finally, getting to play in front of fans and stuff. But I, I just, I, as a collector myself, it, I just feel it's a nice touch. Yeah, and do you want to know what? Like, I, I think I'm quite sentimental in the fact that I like to hear that you know, players keep memorabilia and that they can go back and ref- reflect on their career. I mean, yeah. when we reached out to Tam to, to come onto the show, he was like, you know, the first thing he said was, absolutely, you know, I would, um, I love my time at East Fife, you know, more than happy to come and talk to you. And, and I think that for for me, that the old romantic in me likes to think that you always still keep an eye out for the, the clubs that you've played for or you, or you would hope to hear that. And, and yeah. I do genuinely believe Tam's like that. Yeah, and there's going to be some players that don't have happy memories of their time at at the club because either they got abused by the fans or they fell out with the manager or they didn't get the playing time that they thought they they deserved. And then that's natural. It happens at every single club around the world. It's always funny here. It's like you can talk to two players, one saying great things about the manager because he's playing and one's not playing and he's like, you can tell that he... He just doesn't like the manager, but it's solely down to the fact he's not playing. But yeah, I think Tam is the kind of guy that he's matured a lot. Like we got him really young and he talked about this during the interview and he's maybe done some immature things over the years that get brought up a a lot when he's on different shows or podcasts or, or whatever. But as he's got older, as he talked about there, he's really wisened up and for me, he's the kind of guy that you now want driving where Scottish football goes because he's got some really good ideas out there. And I, I loved his John Collins story. Let's, let's just get to that right away because he said he feels someone like John Collins should be driving the game in Scotland now, even though he doesn't like him. But that, for me, was one of the best parts of that interview. I, I just loved that. Yeah, um, obviously I spoke a bit about my yeah. own experience with, with John Collins and, you know, probably the less said about that, the better. I think I've, I've spoken enough about my, my my meeting with him. But, you know, like, do you want to what? That just shows me that he's somebody that is, he's not interested, um, sorry, Tam's not interested in who the person is. He just wants who's right for the job. And, yeah. you know, you just have to take a look at, at Tam's social media. Um, if you don't follow if, um, Tam on Twitter, you'll find him um, at, the, I think it's the T-Man underscore 10. Yeah. Um, so I would strongly suggest you go and follow him. His, his views on Scottish football, he's very, very passionate about, you know, the, our game. And I think that we needed as many advocates of the game as we possibly can. But he doesn't sit on the fence. You know, he said it himself, you know, one day he'll say something that favours Rangers and he'll get all the Rangers fans in his comments and then, you know, and vice versa with Celtic and stuff. So he's not a man that's going to get many splinters in his butt from sitting on no. the fence anyway. I would need that. And it's a breath of fresh air, like hearing these guys. Like when you watch sports scene, and I know this is something off the ball said, but the two guys in sports scene, Michael Stewart and Stephen Thompson, for me, have been so refreshing for Scottish football these last couple of years. Because I've grown up with folk on these shows and they they, they do sit in the fence. They don't give an opinion because they don't want to offend anyone. Guys like that and Tam McManus, they don't care. If they've got a point to make, they don't care if it's going to offend somebody. If they feel it's going to help the game, improve the game, then they, they, they make their point. And I, I just love that. And we need more guys like that. And hopefully, like, I mean, Tam mentioned himself there what Scottish players need to do 
to get back at the level of competing at the world level, especially for Scotland internationally. I, I think we do need... We talked about culture during the interview, like just Scottish culture. We need to overhaul that. We do need to get away a little bit, I think, as players from the drinking culture. And, I mean, it's easy for us to say that we're not players and we we revel in all these stories that we've had from like 10, 15 years ago from all the guys in the locker rooms and the drunken antics. But you look around the world, and I see it here, the players don't go out on the piss and they're not all getting bevied up and everything. They're focused on the game for as long as they're in the game and they're a lot more... They, they apply themselves a lot more and they look after their bodies a lot more. And I think in Scotland, we've we've done a really bad job at that and we've fallen behind in that. Yeah, um, look, I'm not going to sit and criticise anybody's life choices because, you know, I'm quite glad to be back at work so I can socially distance for the fridge. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't think that it's... Um, is, is my place to tell anybody how to look after their body, the amount of beer I've consumed on lockdown. But look, if, you know, you've got John Collins cutting about with his top off and asking the guys to touch his sticks back. You know, he's, he's somebody that's, you know, looked after himself and he, and he played at the top level. You look at Andy Robertson, clearly a guy that looks after himself and plays at the top level. Although I did see his interview on Sky Sports after they won the league and then his performance subsequently. Um, and he looked like he was still blurred. So I, I'm hoping that Andy still looks after himself off the pitch. But, you know, I think that if, if we as a, a nation want to improve our game, we do have to improve our culture where it gets to Saturday and it's let's get bevied. Um, you know, I think that there's there's definitely changes that we do need to make to that, but I still personally believe that that's not the the root cause of oh no, it's not um, yeah. the 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 crisis that we've got in our national game. I personally believe that it's the cost to rent parks. I believe that that's a massive thing. You know, if I want to get a game of fives from my mates, we need to try and rustle up eighty quid for mm-hmm. a five a side pitch. Um, and it's just you know it's becoming more increasingly more expensive. To, to play the game that you love and that's that's where I find that we need an overhaul and yeah. you know some of Tam's views and improving the game you know I could have literally listened to him all night yeah absolutely I mean that we said that after we'd finished recording when we, we were just chatting about it it's he was one of those guys that he's so passionate about the game and the game needs an, an overhaul from youth young kids five six upwards because what do we focus on at training? What do these camps and the, the kids' things, are people in it for the right reasons? Are they just in it for money? A, a good example of that is Barcelona launched some academies over here in Canada. And I'm saying launched in inverted commas here because it was basically a franchise system where you could just buy the Barcelona camp name. And all these parents signed their kids up to it because they got a Barcelona shirt and they could say, oh yeah, yeah, my, my son's uh, playing with Barcelona Academy. Now they have gone basically bust and they've left players like in the lurch and the training was criticised and all this stuff as well. And that is what is wrong. We need to get way, way better at the, the kids and the youth and everything. Yeah. So I think that, you know, right from the way up, I think that, Football needs to be more heavily involved from school level. Um, you know, when I was younger, Dunfermline used to come and do a camp on a Thursday um, just with a couple of youth coaches and they would come and take schools. Um, actually, this the episode sponsor of this, my, my friend Mark Young um, from my sporting blog, he's actually a coach for the SFA and, and goes out and does a lot more kids stuff. I think that, 
you know, it's, it's really, really difficult. I think kids now are, are so entwined with technology that they can't be bothered to go out and play football. And I think that we need to get these kids to, to get the love of the game. But when you said a couple of shows ago that you never really see a kid kicking a football anymore, it's just that really made me... I've, I've thought about that a lot. And it's like, that is partly where it's gone wrong. And it's like other countries around the world... In, Countries that's worse off than us financially, economically, just socially, they're overtaking us. And we've got into this rut now for World Cup and Euro qualifying where we haven't qualified for so long that we're down with the minnows, which means we're always going to get a tough group, which means we're never going to qualify. So then kids aren't seeing us on the world stage and kids aren't like, oh, I want to play in the World Cup for Scotland one day. Yeah, I think that there is a bit of an element of that. I mean, I was in primary six, primary seven, when we got to the, the World Cup in 98. Um, you know, and, and I remember running home from school to make sure that I, I made it in time to, to watch the opening game against Brazil. And, you know, apart from that, I mean, I've been met with a succession of failure. Mm. Um, luckily, I, you know, I had a love of football from a young age, mainly driven by my, my dad and that was all that was on the TV and you never really got a, a choice to watch anything else. But I think that if you you only have to have a look at Iceland, for example. Yeah, you know, perfect Iceland, example. The, the, the population of Iceland is less of that than Glasgow. Um, and they're out and the, I mean, their team, the passionate fan base, you know, I don't think that they're, players are better than our players and I, 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 apart from you know a standout player like Gilfie Sigurdsson or something like that um, you know they've not really got anybody that I would say is better than us I mean you, yeah. if, if you have a look at our players McTominay, McGinn, um, Tierney, Robertson um, you know you look at our team and I'm just like how have we not done this? Like, But it's because um, we think, come across as like a team of individuals and we're not a yeah. team I still think personally that Clark's the man for the job. Um, and I think I'm going to stick my neck out here and say we'll qualify through the Nations League under Stevie Clark. I think we've got a good chance in these playoffs when they get played. And taking the fans away potentially from the stadiums as well could actually be a boost for us, depending if we have to maybe end up going to Norway or Serbia. If you're going there with no fans, then that's going to be a big advantage. I, I don't know. I mean... The World Cup in 2026, which is held over here, it's going to be 48 teams. You have to hope Scotland's going to be at that. Because if, if you're not qualifying for a 48-team tournament, then we're fucked altogether. It's like, that's it, we may as well just give up. Qatar, I don't know, depends on the draw. That's going to be tough. Right, so here's something for our listeners as well as yourself. Do you think that the expanded World Cup tournament takes away from the mystique of it? Because I'm kind of a bit like, I look at a 48-team World Cup and I'm like, right, we're not actually here on merit. We're here because, you know, FIFA are wanting to milk the living daylights out of it financially. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on the, the larger tournament. I would rather that it stuck to the format that it was at and I actually feel like we earned our place there. Because I don't want to get there having finished third or you know, like yeah. you want to win your group or fi- or finish second. You know, even the Nations League, I'm a bit like right fine because we've had to really put together some performances to to get to that. Um, but 
to finish third or maybe even fourth and, and qualify for a tournament. I don't know. It just kind of feels like, you know, you're getting the, the you participated um, yeah. sticker at school that we, we spoke about in the Greg McDonald interview there, which my mum and dad probably so proudly hold up on their, their wall. I, I, I totally agree with you with that. It does devalue it as far as I'm concerned, and it is all about money. And when America and Canada and Mexico got awarded the 2026 World Cup, I was getting lots of information about it as the whole cities were putting in. Vancouver had put in to be a whole city because the Women's World Cup final was played here in Vancouver in 2015. We hosted that tournament solely in Canada. It was great. But what FIFA were looking for from all the cities was obscene. They were taking all the money that was generated and the cities weren't getting it but the cities had to pay for all the security and stuff, and you were expected to shut down big parts of the city round about the stadium. But FIFA could do what they wanted in that, and if anything happened, like a terrorist incident or anything bad, FIFA weren't responsible. It was the city and the country that it was in that was going to be responsible. So Vancouver were like, okay, we're we're pulling out of the, the bid thing. And I was fuming, because the chance of having a World Cup in my home city where I'm now living, would have been like amazing. But as the months have passed and I'm thinking about it, it's like, you know, they're quite right. Because also, you could be getting something like New Zealand versus Namibia, some shitty game. Is it really worth giving up all that for what would really be a, a kind of crappy game? Because the more teams you have, you're going to have more shitty games. Yeah, um, you know, that's absolutely inevitable. And, you know, you... You see how much money gets pumped into World Cups and, you know, inevitably it would have had an amazing boost for the economy in Vancouver, Canada, wherever it's going to be. But, you know, that's if you get a, I don't even want to say it out loud, an England or yeah. a, a Germany or somebody that's going to take a big crowd. You know, if you get a we Fiji or some nonsense country like that, that, you know, I'm going to take many people there, you know, the 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 chances of it repaying the money you're putting in is slim and then there's no point. Yeah. Um, I also personally don't like the tournaments being held over different countries. Um, yeah. I think it, it's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, you could be playing one week in, you know, Germany and the next week in France, the next week in Italy. And, and I don't think that that makes for any club to have a good sound foot in for preparing for a game or preparing for a tournament. But look, I'll be honest with you, I find it very difficult with international football to still find the same passion that I maybe found. Because, I mean, I used to go every Scotland home game. Mm. Um, I actually had tickets for the Israel game in, in March. And that was going to be my first one since Belgium about four or five years ago. Oh, wow. um, so, I mean, and I used to go to them all. I was yeah. I really, really loved Scottish foot, um, international football. But I find now that it's become so, I don't know, after the whole set by our FIFA corruption scandal, the, the, the World Cup going to Qatar, which I'm just a bit like, poof, like there's absolutely no way it should be there. And it's only there because they're putting the money in. You know, I'm just a bit like, why bother? Yeah. I, I, I'm mostly concerned that, as we've talked about my love for Panini sticker albums, with a 48-team World Cup, I'm going to be bankrupt. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's going to be like uh, The Hobbit or something like that. <laughs> that many pages. <laughs> You'll have each team having like six players on a page or something because there's going to be so many of them. But I mean, it, it has got farcical. I'm glad Qatar isn't expanded. It kind of probably hits like just now, Canada's got a really good team. 
And we've got so many exciting young players coming through that we still might qualify for Qatar normally. Scotland, I don't think we will. But I, I would like to see us in another World Cup before I die. It, it would just be nice to have. I'm getting like on a bit now. In a, yeah, I'd like to see us in another World Cup, just in general, because you know even my memories from the 98 one are so vague because of how young I was. Um, it was... Yeah, you know, I'd like to be able to appreciate it as an adult. Yeah. And we should note, obviously, Scotland has qualified for a World Cup because the women qualified for the the World Cup last year. But following in the men's footsteps had glorious failure in the last match and balls it up. But I think, right, the way things are, in all seriousness, the women's team is probably our best hope of cheering Scotland on at World Cups right now. Yeah, um, and I think that the women's team have, have done really, really well. Um, and, you know, I was actually quite disappointed because I really liked their kit for the World Cup, but they yeah. didn't do it in fat boy sizes. Um, and also didn't, and another thing that baffled me, actually, was they didn't do it in, like, kid sizes, so I couldn't get one for oh. my daughter. Oh, that's surprising. You'd think they would. They, they seem to yeah, be so doing less and less kid stuff, though, just in general. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I tried to get um, the first football kit that I ever got my daughter was the pink Scotland away kit um, and, and I had it as well and I absolutely loved it and when that one came out I was like oh that's, that's really really smart I want to get that I couldn't get it in my size and couldn't get it in her size I was just like you're alienating mm. you know fat people and kids so yeah. <laughs> you know that's pretty much quite a lot of uh, the, the Scottish Populist, so yeah, they, they definitely could be doing to get me in for their market, and I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> well, I think that from international football and stuff, um, we'll, we'll move on from that because we've gone way off course from what we were going to talk about. I know, but that show. was good. Just let, let us know your thoughts on it, though. And it's like it's a show, I, I would love us to actually have a, a show, maybe like a, just a round table, have like four or six people on it, including ourselves, where we, we just talk about the future of the Scottish game and like what needs to happen. I think that would be a fascinating podcast to have for a couple of hours. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing that we could get Tam McManus, Gary Naismith on and really sort of pick the brains of, of these guys, you know, that have got real insight and knowledge of the game. So mm-hmm. that's something that we could um, look into. And if you're if you're interested in hearing that, by all means, get in touch with us on the, on the socials, um, Twitter at Glory Days of Gold, Facebook at Glory Days of Gold. Um, and now... Instagram. You can find us on Instagram too by searching Glory Days of Gold. <laughs> Lee will be doing all that stuff. I still don't understand Instagram. I have one, but I don't understand. Yeah, you're too old. Um, so, Michael, we're, we're back to talking about it again. The relegation saga rolls on. Oh. So, the, yeah, sorry to everybody that listened to this again, but we're trying to keep it Scottish football general as well as just the, the mighty five. But and it is um, the big this, talking uh, point, sadly. It's just yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So one more time, um, the, the court of session have said that it needs to be settled by the SFA arbitration and not the courts. But interestingly, the court, the Belgian Court of Arbitration for Sport, overturned the decision to relegate the Westland Beveren team from the Jupiler League, mirroring what's happened in France too. So I'm really concerned that this is going to set a precedent. You know, I, I know we've got Hearts fans that listen to this podcast, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm not picking you out, but you know, you're 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 going down deservedly. Um, take your medicine is, is, is literally my, my final point in it I get that it's going to affect you financially it sounds like you're going to get your compensation take your medicine and if you're that a good side you'll get back up next season 
The thing is, that decision in Belgium, it was also a similar decision in France a couple of weeks ago. And I feel, as you say, that could be a landmark ruling. I think it could set the precedent. And it's it's actually hard for the SFA to then be able to argue to relegate the teams when you're seeing it overturned in Belgium and France. I think they're going to stay up. And I think we're going to end up reconstructing the leagues after all. I, I can't see any way around this now. No, but then again, if, if, if they do it 14-10-10-10, which I do feel is the the logical thing to do, it, it screws us as a club. Yeah, East Fife. absolutely. Um, and, you know, we need to think about how that's going to affect us financially. And if that happens, is the SFA going to compensate us with the $8 million that's going to go to Hearts or the $2 million that's going to go to Falkirk? Yeah. They have to spread that love around. Yeah. And, I mean, something which I, I had been totally unaware of until... Um, there's a Wraith Rovers fan that follows me in my Canadian Twitter and he'd, he'd posted an article from the, the Sun The I read it because it was Wraith pleading poverty that they could go bust over this. Now we've been there before with Wraith and I don't think Coldplay still have played, paid this gig so maybe they're going to be like warming up to do, do a gig for this. I didn't know that Dundee United, Wraith and Cove are having to pay their own legal costs for this. It's like, what the hell? You're being taken to court for a decision that the league has made, but you're having to fund the legal costs to fight this? That's ridiculous. It is baffling, isn't it? Um, You know, it's it's just Scottish football in a nutshell. Um, And look, you know... I'll get hung for saying this, but I feel sorry for Rafe. I do, you know, that... And, you know, if, if Coldplay play a concert, I'll probably go along. But, you know, it's, um, it's one of those, they were top of the league. They probably deserve to get promoted. I'm not saying win the league, but probably deserve to, to be promoted because where the, the season finished, if, if they'd called it, at, when they called it at that point, they were top. That's that's just the way it is, the same yeah. way as when Hearts were at the bottom. You know, boo-hoo. I think that it's, it's ridiculous. That, that there should be no club punished for the the pandemic yeah it, it just shouldn't happen and you know if if you know the sfa clubs they voted for the way it was going to be and that should have been it hearts are thrown and and patrick thrown their, their toys at the pram if they lose this they should foot the bill yeah do you know what would have made this easier i think see if celtic and rangers had been tied on points at the top of the premier i think everyone would just have said okay let's just the, the season's a bogey let's just say it's null and void and we'll start over but because you've got those two going back and forward and it's like, oh, we don't want to not give Celtic the title because then it's going to look like we're pro-Rangers. Um, but then if we favour Null and Void, then it looks like we're anti-Celtic. It would have been, if, if they had been closer or tied in points, I think everything would have been fine. We'd have just reset. It would have been a bit unfair probably then for Dundee United. That's maybe the only team it would have been really, really unfair for. But if, And maybe Cove. But everything else... That would have been the sensible way for it. But I do feel for Wraith, as much as we hate Wraith, it's like they haven't put themselves in this position. The SPFL should be funding all these costs and the other clubs now have said that they're going to chip in towards it. East Fife shouldn't have to chip in towards this either. This has nothing to do with us. Yeah, and and, and by the way, I hope we don't. It's not our, It's not any of our interest to, to fund the, the costs of that, particularly if it then means that um, the league gets reconstructed and then we're further out of pocket yeah. by losing out the fan base that's coming in. So I would urge anybody at the club that's listening to this, you know, do not 
put a single penny towards that. At the end of the day, it's this is down to the, the Scottish Football League and it's it's their mess um, and it's, it's up to them to sort it. And we're three weeks away from the Premier season meant to be starting and we still don't really know what's happening. I mean, how... I mean, they've got the fi- the fixtures have come out. We talked about that in the first part that we know we're getting underway in October. But you've got fixtures out that now might have to be redone. It's farcical, Mike. It's, it's, yeah, it's farcical. I mean, you only have to look at the way that the the Championship in England and the English Premiership had. If we just held our water, we could have just rolled on. Yep. And that would have been it. You know, the, the way that the, the English Premier League, I think, have, have resumed the, 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 Premier, the Bundesliga, La Liga, you know, just bit their tongue, grit, bear it, and on you go. And if we had the right leadership um, at, at our helm, then I genuinely would believe that. And I, I still don't believe that Neil Con- uh, Doncaster's the, the man no. for the job. Um, you know, Peep and Brewery are the two things that, um, that constantly strike my mind. But I, I don't um, see how he can like whatever happens with this thing, especially if if Hearts and Party win, his his job and his position's untenable. He can't stay in charge. Yeah, there used to be a guy I used to work with, um, and I've, I've always worked in sales. And he'd be like, "My coat's on a sugarly peg, son. My coat's on a sugarly peg." His coat should be yep. on the floor. Um, yep. Not that you ever wish anybody to lose a job. It's not no, what I'm saying, but, but he's we need he's balls this up need, big time. We need a leader in this game, and it's got to be somebody that's played the game. Yeah, I know Scottish to, to, football to lead us forward. Yeah, it has Absolutely. to be somebody that knows all the intricacies, the good and the bad, all the old firm crap, and all the stuff that goes with that. It has to be somebody, ideally, that's not connected with either of those two as well, which is a bit difficult if you're wanting a big name person. Because no matter if look you look no further than our guest, yeah, Tam McManus. Look, look no further than Tam McManus. You know the guy's learned. He knows what he's talking about. He's played the game at all levels. For me personally, I would take Tam, Tam in that job. You're looking as well. Maybe it's a shame that someone like Craig Brown wasn't younger. It's. You want somebody like that that isn't going to have one half of the old firm going, oh, you're just favouriting this thing or whatever. It's the same if you picked a Hearts or a Hibs man, though, you'd have the other side of them saying, oh, you're showing favouritism to this, this and this. That's what's wrong with Scottish football. It's like everyone's just so suspicious of people's motives that I can understand why folk don't even want to get involved in it. Yeah, there's always a conspiracy, isn't there? Yeah. Um, But... I don't know, man. I think that we need to do something. Radical change is, is, is needed. Um, and I, I think personally, if we don't reconstruct the leagues now, which I'm fine with, I think it should just be left the way it is, but we really need to consider it at the end of the next season. If, we, if, we need, if we're going to increase the demand for our game, it needs to be something that breaks the monotony. Yeah. But you've also got these... And it's like we've spoken about Kelty. I know you hate Kelty, but we've got all these ambitious clubs. East Kilbride splashing the money out this week, signing a goalkeeper from our broth. And Paul Payton. Oh, I missed that one. Oh. Yeah, um, they signed Paul Payton this week. Then you've got teams like Darville through in the West spending big money. I really fear for a lot of clubs in the in League Two that will be quaking in their boots a little bit mm. because, you know, I can't see how the likes of a 
for easy counting, your Berwick's, your Cowdenbeath's, your Elgin's, your you know. Don't get me wrong, Elgin have had a good season, but you know well, Berwick's gone already. Yeah, um, sorry, I, I meant break in. My apologies. Um, you know, you, you think about these clubs. How do they compete against? Yeah, the the Celtics of this world. If you're not ambitious and you're just happy to just be basically surviving, maybe move up to to League One every now and again. If that's the height of your ambition, at some point within the next five years of Scottish football, you're going to be overtaken. And the money's not there to sustain all these clubs, so that's the thing. No. I mean, if you think about if we were in the position, if this was happening 20 years ago... Mm, That's us. That's us. And I'll be honest with you, we wouldn't have survived that. Yeah, if, if we'd if we'd gone out of the league, like if we've never been bottom, we've been close, we've been second bottom once. If we'd finished bottom and lost a relegation playoff and gone out of the league, that would have been it for East Fife, I think. Yeah, and you know, again, you, you never want to see any club going bust. Um, but at the same time, you know, if we're not matching the ambitions, or not not we, but as the, the, the clubs um, in League Two and, and even League One, actually, if we're, if we're not matching the ambitions of these clubs, then, you know, I think Darvel is the guy that's got Browning's and Bakers that um, is pumping the money into them. All right. Um, you've got um, East Kilbride, you know, the, the rumours of where their money are coming from. Um, you've got Kelty and where their money is coming from. You know, they're not going to just be doing this as a short-term venture. They're going to be doing this as we're doing this to build a sustainable and viable football club that's going to bring money in. Now, if you think about Kelty as an example, and it even hurts my mouth when I say their name out loud, um, you've got a, a really big catchment area that Cowdenbeath have never taken advantage of. Dunfermline is probably the closest club um, there. But, I mean, really, you've got, like, all the, the sort of mining villages and stuff yep. in that area that they've got a chance that if they could get a, a good um, team in the park, which they've already got, by the way, you've got big names like Barry Ferguson in there managing and all that sort of stuff. If they get out in the community as well, because that's the key which for they are doing. Yeah, yep, which they are doing. So they're, they're capturing a, a big... They're casting a big net. And I, I reckon... And this is going to be a, a new feature which we could launch Lee's Crystal Ball. My guess is within the next five years that Cowden will drop out of the league, Kelty will be in, and there'll be no fans go to Cowden. They'll all go to Kelty, and Cowden will go. Yeah. If, if, I think Cowden could have gone if they'd lost that playoff and it was so close to them going out of the league. I, I don't see that's a team I wouldn't see recovering from that. I know the, everyone talks about the speedway money. That speedway money, I don't think, is going to go as far as to save them. But I, like next season, though, like if Kelty do not go up, which it looks like right now they're not, if Kelty are spending big next year and so are East Kilbride, only one of them can go up and it's not even guaranteed that they'll go up. How sustainable is that, though, if they've both invested heavily? One of them's at least is not going to make it. No, I and mean, then you've got to think about the. We're only thinking Lowland League. Think oh the yeah, teams in the Highlands are, yeah. are, are pumping good money up there as well. I mean, I, mean, um, I was looking through Cove squad. I didn't even realise that Rory McAllister had gone yeah. there. That's totally. I've, 
totally missed that. See, um, I think so they're going to be a bit of a surprise. Well, maybe not even a surprise package. I, I no. think they're going to be a strong team next season. So that's a, that's three strong teams. And then you've got Airdrie as well that really cannot afford to have another season in the third tier. They need to, to go up, you feel. Tough league. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be a tough league. But do you want to know what? I, I, apart from when Gary took us up, I don't think I've ever been as big of a fan as a manager as I am now. Um, I wasn't always Darren's biggest fan in the past, uh, uh, some of the decisions and stuff that he's made, but you know, I, I'll hold my hands up um, and happily admit that I'm wrong. And you know, I, I hope that we keep him for a long time to come. Definitely. And talking of Mr. Darren Young, on a, one of our favourite segments of the show, and one of the listeners' favourite sections of the show, get yourself a brew, pour it, get yourself a blue band, dunk it. It's time for Mr. Darren Young. And let's find out if he fancies a chocolate digestive. If you're sitting at home and you decide to have a, a hot beverage, what would be your, your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a coffee or something else? Definitely a tea. I love my tea. Are you a biscuit fan? Yep, massive biscuit fan and cakes. <laughs> What's your favourite biscuit and are you a dunker? Oh, definitely Dunker. Um, probably a chocolate hobnob. Oh, nice, fancy. <laughs> and that's, I think that's because they don't uh, they don't melt when you put them in. <laughs> the the SAS like of biscuits. <laughs> I never liked hobnobs when I lived in Scotland, and now that I'm here, I'm buying all the food from the expat shops. And it's got to be a chocolate one, not a normal one. Just tastes doesn't it taste great, but I want the chocolate. That's that's a, that's a spot. Anyone fancy a chocolate digest? So that's Mr. Darren Young, and well, he does fancy a chalky Becky. So moving on, um, we're on to the last part of our show. I think that we've been surprised with how long this one's gone on. So we're not going to bring the mailbag to you this week, but we'll bring that to you next weekend as well in any new all-time 11s and also talk to you about the memorabilia and stuff. So that will be in episode seven of Glory Days of Gold. So although we haven't had time to bring you those this week, we do have time to bring you this week's wavelength. Can't have a show without having some music about football. And for this week, we're going back to 1993, a band from Cork in Ireland, the Sultans of Ping FC. Now, the Sultans have a a few songs uh, about football from their early days, and we'll be bringing you those over the coming weeks and months. But the song I'm going to bring you tonight is the song that when I, I launched Wavelength over here in Canada on the AFTN Soccer Show, this was the very first song that we played in the section when it it became a a regular feature on the show. It's from the Sultans of Ping debut album, Casual Sex in the Cineplex, and it's a song all about the wonderful Brian Clough. This is Give Him a Ball and a Yard of Grass. Give 
give you move with godlike eyes. The Sultans of Ping FC there from their 1993 album Casual Sex in the Cineplex. Give him a ball and a yard of grass. He will give you moves with a perfect pass. Let's see which East 5 players we can attach that song to this season to come. And it's the Sultan sang there. Yeah, a, a man can have no greater love than give 90 minutes to his friends. And hopefully we will be back seeing the East Five players give 90 minutes to us, their best friends, pretty soon. But that's pretty much it for this week's show, Lee. Mikey, you got anything you want to say? I think for me, it's just a, a quick thank you again to the sponsors of this episode. So huge thanks again to Mark Young at my sporting blog, which you can find on Facebook, and to Jennifer Russell um, at Hairdressing Princess on Instagram. Give us a follow on Twitter at Glory Days of Gold. You can give me a follow on Twitter at AFT in Canada. I'm on that mostly, so if you want to get hold of me, that's the best place to get me. Lots of MLS and Whitecap stuff and that, but also at AFT in website. And Lee, what's your Twitter? Yep, you'll find me on Twitter at LeeG1903, and um, I did get a few more follows this week. So welcome to you all, and you'll probably see me moaning about Man United, losing accumulators, and probably now the podcast. And as I mentioned as well, if you've got any interest in MLS or North American football, it is back now. And got some interesting interviews are 
current podcast, episode 401, has a bit of a chat I had with Thierry Henry, so you can listen to that. The one that is coming up this weekend, episode 402, a little bit of stuff. I got a chance to speak to Nanny the other night as well. So you can follow that on AFTN.ca. And you can check out AFTN.co.uk for all our old school East Fife stuff. Some more stuff going to be going up on that in the coming weeks. Well, that's um, just about everything from us um, on this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold. Um, my name's Lee Gillis and joined by, I was going to say the lovely Michael McCall, but we'll just say Michael McCall for <laughs> to, to just shorten this episode round. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Fight the virus. Keep calm. And more importantly, Monday Fife. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.